tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number, won't cost a cent to make a call. Ali is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, the Gardaí have voted overwhelmingly in a show of no confidence in the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris. RTE freezes recruitment, but is it enough to stop the rot? We'll be speaking to Matthew McGrath about that. We have some advice on our dear Phil letters this week about separate bedrooms and who should pay for the bridesmaid dresses. Muriel Cuddy in our health slot. We've a taste of this week's uh, Down Your Way programme. And uh, Tipperary musician Dennis Ryan will be with us live in studio. So all of that and much, much more on the way. But before I go on, Jermar was on to us this morning um, asking us to wish Kira um, a very, very happy birthday today because Kira is 20 today and on her way to her placement now in Newcastle with the Brothers of Charity. And Ger was saying, uh, we listen to you going there every single morning, Fran. And she's the light of our lives and uh, good wishes coming in from Mommy, Daddy and Sister Ellen as well. And Ger, we're happy to do that and we wish Kira the very, very best indeed. All right, let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. And uh, the headlines dominated by the GRA and indeed uh, RTE. Let's look at the Indo first of all. And uh, they're telling us that a cull of staff... Uh, through targeted and voluntary redundancies, the potential sale of Montrose and reducing programming are all part of a brutal cost-cutting plan at RTE. Uh, the Irish Examiner, a uh, vote of no confidence, a real kick in the teeth. The Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, has described an unprecedented vote of no confidence in his leadership by the frontline Garda. is a real kick in the teeth. We'll be talking about that in just a few moments' time. Also, the HSE has confirmed a small number of Irish people are being treated in French hospitals for botulism after an outbreak linked to a wine bar in Bordeaux claimed the life of uh, one woman. It's kind of very rare, this, by all accounts. Um, and it's an interesting story, indeed. Um, also, let's have a look at the Irish Times... And it's dominated by a fantastic photograph, indeed, of Group Captain John Hemingway, a 104-year-old former Royal Air Force fighter pilot, and he's at his alma mater, uh, St Andrews College in Booterstown in Dublin, where he talked to the students about his participation in the Second World War. I'm sure that would have been very, very interesting indeed, but isn't that amazing? 104 years old. Also reading on the Times today that the reallocation of road space from cars to public transport services, cyclists and pedestrians is to be implemented across Dublin city centre from next year and that's under plans announced by the the NTA. Uh, And again, RTE coverage on the Times too. Finally, let's have a look at uh, the Irish Daily Mail and probably they get the prize for the most stark headline relating to the RTE controversy and it says fear and fury in Montrose. Staff at RTE have been left reeling and say their worst fears have come to pass as the Director General signalled a raft of cost-cutting measures. So that's a 
an indication of what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Do you want to make comments on any of that? If so, we'd love to hear from you. And again, that's 0833113311 for your text and WhatsApp. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, the Garda Representative Association has overwhelmingly voted no confidence in Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. The results of the uh, vote were announced just before 12 yesterday. And the result sends a very clear message. Indeed, almost 99% of rank-and-file Gardaí have no confidence in the Commissioner. Tipperary GRA Rep uh, Richard Kennedy joins me now. Good morning to you, Richard. Morning, Fred. And thanks for your time this morning. A huge result, but not unexpected. I suppose the result was kind of was as we expected, Fran, but it was, the, it was the turnout was, I suppose, the shocking figure that came out of it. We usually have ballots on pay previously on rosters and stuff where we we hit maybe mid sixties, mid to high sixties. So a return of close to eighty five percent would be unprecedented in the in, in the history of GRA for any any ballot we've ever had. And lots of people are making that point today. This is completely unprecedented in the history of the Gardaí. I feel, Richard, that the issues are becoming a little lost because of the enormity of the result. Will you just remind us about the main issues? I suppose friend it, the, the, I suppose the figures are getting the headlines, but look, we've, we've, I suppose, over the last number of years, this isn't, this isn't a, a recent thing. We've, had, we've had ongoing recruitment and retention policy, which is causing manpower issues all over the country. We have members' time in been over, overtaken by clerical tasks. We've, we basically turned into, 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 into clerical officers rather than guardy. Welfare members been, been uh, not looked after in terms of CMO visits. Lots of stress-related work pressures piling on day on day on members. The suspensions policy, the red tape and bureaucracy with oversight from various different groupings, and then and then the straw. I suppose about the camels back was the uh, was the rosters issue. And tell me about the rosters issue because again, people are a small bit confused uh, about that. The commissioner would like to revert back to pre-COVID rosters. Your members don't want. To do that is that a summation of that? Is that a fair summation of that? It, 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 I suppose it, essentially it is. Friend. Uh, back back in March 2020, we switched to uh, what was at the time a COVID emergency roster of four days on four, four, four shifts on four shifts off, and members like this from people with childcare with long commutes, it, it, it reduced costs for them, and they realised that they actually had a better work life balance in terms of they had good time with their family. They reduced reduced cost of living and as we know as we all know we've had cost of living crisis for the last couple of years in terms of with inflation and members like the shift and they wanted to retain it now the commissioner said to us back last november he said he can't return to the six and four roster we have to remain in the four and four because we haven't the manpower to return to the six and four yes yes here we are nearly not far off 12 months later we've less manpower than we had last november and he wants to go back to the six and four so um i don't know how he's going to do it we've 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 seen uh, makeups of some of the, the five the five units proposed five units roster around the country, and there's there's lots of holes fan across the player. There's lots of lots of units being reduced down, and it's it's going to cause major issues going forward for 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 the service. Well, we spoke about this, and we brought people the breaking news yesterday about the result of the ballot. Uh, Richard, one one of our listeners was on to us, and he was making a point, and I'd love your reactions to this. He said that in any other organisation, and he pointed to Tip FM, for example, and he said if Fran Curry, um, you know, if during COVID his hours were changed, 
And if the company came along to him and said, you know, well, you have to go back to the programme that you did before COVID, that that would have to be accepted in any other organisation. Why should the Gardaí be different, do you think, Richard? Like, Brian, in any, any organisation or any any business, you, you negotiate you negotiate rosters and you negotiate shift patterns. And we have a situation where, you, where we have we have members who, and like we're slightly different, Brian, in, in in a sense because we have people who are. I know we have lots of people in big communities, but we have we have members who can't live near their hometown, so we can't get employed near our hometown. So generally, if you want to be near to home, you have to probably travel up to an hour to get get to work. So. You have the, the cost of that, and these rosters are have been proven to be successful across the board. And there's no in crime detection, in arrests, all these issues have proved to be more successful. It's putting more guarantee working because instead of having the, the, our, our figure of our membership divided by five, which the commissioner wants, you're dividing it by five. You're dividing it by four, so you have more people working on units. So at, at any given time, more guarantee on the street. So by dividing it by five, you're reducing the service that's going to be provided. So instead of maybe having two patrol cars out, you'll have one. You'll have one member then more than likely caught with, with, with doing paperwork or some or some kind of some kind of computer related work instead of having two people out in the car. It's essentially what it boils down to. And and we've attempted to, to negotiate negotiate in this. We've made different proposals and we haven't been listened to. The commissioner has has is refusing to to, to negotiate us. He wants to go into the, in the workplace relations commission, but that won't that won't solve the issue. We won't uh, like like anything. Negotiation is the best is the best way to deal with any situation where there's a, where there's an impasse. And and we we what we have asked to, re, to continue negotiations at this roster, but we haven't been listened to. And that's and that's and that's how we've ended up where we are. Because you, members haven't been listened. You, your organisation, the GRA, now Richard, calling on the government uh, for intervention on this. I put this to the tarnish to Michal Martin on Tuesday. Can I just play you a few seconds of what it is that he had to say yeah. on this? The operation of the Guardi is a matter for the Guardi Commissioner. Uh, we do not interfere in the operational model or uh, in terms of the management of Angarda Shikana. But, that's, but that's, maybe, maybe that's the minister him. needs to do that. Maybe no, you can't have political interference. Uh, but surely in, there's in, direction in, from in the department. Is there, is there not direction uh, from it, the department? Yeah, but listen, and there was a policing service for a future. There was a fundamental review of Angarda Shikana that took place four years ago yeah. uh, to modernise the force. Right. And but, what you're now witnessing is the rollout of that. Um, but but and, the rank and file, the rank and file to, don't believe in that. I have, but fine, but just I'm going to make the point here. You, you cannot have a situation, I would argue, certainly there can be policy direction and we want more Gardaí on the ground. We want to resource Gardaí more. Um, and, and we're going to do that. Uh, but, but what you cannot have is every second year uh, ministers making, sorry, getting, we, 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 wading in and, and, and making operational changes. I don't think that would be coherent. Now, Richard, he's quite clear on this. He sees no place for the minister or indeed the government to wade in on this. What, how does that make you feel? Well, I suppose it, it's kind of head, head in the sand kind of mentality, Brand that they that they, read, they they have to at this stage. Like he talks there about the modernisation and, and, the, and yeah. the the rollout of that model. That model was designed for having to be carried out with probably two thousand to three thousand more carriers than what we have. They've put the cart before the horse in rolling out this model. We don't have the manpower to do this model. We know that they know that, but they've ploughed on, put put the head down and said, "Right, we're going to we're going to roll out this model." And this is a, this is 
and, and saying that the government don't interfere. The government applied the, appoint the policing authority. The policing authority are interfering in the running of the Garrish economy because they're pointing the direction in which the commissioner has to, has to run the force. So technically, the government, this is all streams down from the government. So the government have to do it. They, they appointed the commissioner. Fianna Gael, Fianna Gael have had the, have the justice portfolio for the last 12 years. So this, he's their commissioner. They appointed him. So they have to, there has to be some intervention or some direction to maybe encourage the commissioner to return to the negotiation table and, and to maybe roll back in some of the, the, the rollout of this model because we can't, members cannot do it, Frank. We cannot do what they want us to do yeah. this time. My, you, cannot, you can't keep piling and piling and piling on more work. My, 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 reading more of, my reading of his um, reaction to yesterday's vote would lead me to believe anyway, Richard, that he, he's not for turning where this is concerned. Also, Helen McEntee, I mean, it's interesting there. I, I think the GRA invited her to discuss the ongoing crisis, but she chose not to do so. Is that is that is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we uh, since Minister McEntee returned from her maternity leave when she when she retook a position from Simon Harris, we've uh, wrote her on a number of occasions looking to meet with her, but she's declined to meet us. Um, we have we wrote to her again uh, yesterday evening, so you can seek in a meeting with her urgently. And and it, it, to say that the government can't interfere or intervene, at the end of the day, the Minister for Justice is in charge of <laughs> employees the Garda Commissioner. A commissioner serves at the behest of the government. So if they if they decide that they wanted, if they would decide in the morning they wanted the defence of his service, they can. If they if they they could, so they can indicate to him and say, oh, Commissioner. This is a crisis. We need to sort this out for the better of the people of the country. And that's what it is. This crisis needs to be sorted for the better of the people of the country. We don't want a situation where the policing service is deteriorated. We all have families, parents, friends living in all over the country where we want them to be provided with the best possible policing service. And at this moment in time, we believe that is not happening. Our members are tied up with with an inordinate amount of paperwork. It's, it's actually gone. It's it's ridiculous how much it's, it's the way it's gone from. And like these issues are going on and on. Like we have a, a computer system called IMS for for managing files on, on a computer mm-hmm. system. It was rolled out in other countries as a major instant management system, but in Ireland we use it for every instant. Now I raised this with the commissioner personally uh, two and a half years ago at the at the GRA conference. He said to me, "I'll come down to Tipperary, Richie, and see what your problems are with it, and we'll see what we can do." Twelve months later. We're back at the GRA conference again, and I again raised it with the commissioner. The commissioner, you said you come out to the library, you said you conduct a review. He didn't do it. But here we are again, eight or nine months later, in the same position. This system hasn't been rolled out all over the country. Tipperary is one of the pilot divisions. They haven't rolled out in other parts of the country, like Dublin, Cork City, Limerick, because they can't, because there's too much work involved in it, and the city stations will close down in the morning if they do it. But it's okay for the guards of Tipperary to be snowed on and not be able to, get, to carry out their job properly. And this is where we are. You have a fragmented service all over the place with different policies and different divisions. And it's just not working. There there might be some light at the end of the tunnel and maybe a little bit of a rollback because at, uh, on the 9 o'clock news last night, the Minister said she was at this stage willing to sit down and the Gardaí uh, said they want to go to the negotiating table and Drew Harris is now saying that, you know, he's willing to talk. So, I mean, wh- where is the issue going going forward? Is there, is there some movement here, Richard? We'd hope so, friend. Like, like we're we're a, we're a, we're a solution-based organisation, friend. We have never ever refused to negotiate with anyone. During rosters, during any pay talks, we always stay at the negotiating table 
Other associations have walked out and talked. We've always stayed at the table because we believe the solution will come sitting at the negotiation table. It's not going to be it's not going to be solved by people becoming entrenched in a position and, and, and not being willing to talk on it. That's not that's not the way to get business done. The way to get business done is for all the parties to sit down and trash out the issues and try and come to the solution of the issues. But forcing stuff on people never works. Were you it disappointed? Never works any job if it's were, were you disappointed with the AGSI? Uh, their decision to accept the proposed roster, even though they had issues uh, with it, were you disappointed uh, with that? But I suppose that's 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 a matter for AJSI. Look, uh, they they have their own policy. I I know from talking to it's probably within within their own organisation. It's probably a little bit. There's probably different opinions there because if sergeants work the shift, and I know from talking talking to sergeants around Tipperary and around the country, they like four and four. So they, they probably they have their own situation they can deal with. That's what for AGSI and 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 their and their uh, their representatives. But look, it would have been nice if they supported us. Like we'd, they, we should be all sticking together in this in this kind of a thing. Because if you like any workplace, if everyone's on the same page and everyone is happy in what they're doing, it, it works a lot better than having a disgruntled a disgruntled workforce. And if if you look at there, you have nine nine thousand one hundred and twenty nine members of Garda rank are not happy. They're not happy in the direction that Gary is going. They're not happy the way the job has been turned into into a paper paper exercise where where we we just respond to calls and we're and we're not we're not doing what we want to do, whereas, which is proper community policing where we're dealing with people and not sitting behind the desk answering phones. There's a two week window now because you have that special delegate conference in I think it's Kilkenny in a couple of weeks' time. Um, yeah. Where where will you be? Do you think at that point? And what further measures? can you do now? Because I see that Carol Nolan, the independent TD for Leash Hoffley, is describing what's going on as essentially a declaration of civil war within the Guardian. So I'm just wondering, what are you hoping for? I think, I think civil war is a bit of an overreaction now, friend, but look, I suppose it makes a good headline for that, for that person. But it's, no, look, we, we, every option is on the table. Uh, we were, like, we, we had our CC meeting yesterday, we have CC, we're carrying on with our, with our central executive again today. Um, we'll discuss every every option is on the table. We'll we'll take direction from our special delegate conference in on the twenty seventh. That our our conference is the main policy policy making body of our mm. organisation always has been, and that that's a situation where you have, where you have someone from every guarded district in the country will be attending that, and they'll be bringing 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 the feedback and and the ideas and possible possible actions from every part of the country. Every every single place in the country represented there and, and that's where that's where we'll take we'll take the direction from. And could you help me just for my own understanding because I, I I was chatting about this uh, last week as well. That plan that's there, Richard, to add a fifth unit uh, in Tipperary, is, is that doable? No, it's not. You didn't even have yeah, to think about that. It's, it's just not, is it, that it? it? No, it's like I like I like I'll give you an example. The Nina district had one community police guard. She is no longer doing community police. She's back onto the back onto the front line. She was she was a community head who did school visits, went to old folks' homes, that kind of stuff. So that's She's gone. Back onto, that's gone. That's gone. And and that kind of thing is going on all over all over Tipperary. It's going on all over the country, where you've shuffling of members. You've members been put on units who are on long term sick, who are on on modified duties due to injuries they receive in work. So they've been put on units to fill numbers to make it look on paper. That you have five units. It's, pay, it's, pay, it's, it's a paper exercise, but these gaps won't be there. These will all have to be filled by uh, to backfill you, you uh, uh, missing people with, 
with uh, overtime to train your juggling numbers. You'll have members who should be out in country stations like Art Finnan and Newport and and Orsicane coming into the urban centres like like Nina and Clamell and Care, filling the gaps in those in the in the urban centres, leaving the outlying country villages unmanned. And that's and that's what will happen. It, it 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 happens as it is in four units, where you have members who are attached to these outside country stations have been brought in to fill patrol cars, to sit behind the desk in the station, to to fill these gaps. And these gaps are just going to get bigger. Right, so so you're going to be sucking into the major urban centres so you can put out patrol cars in the, in the right. towns. So, and, 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 and I don't want to overstate this either, Richard, but I mean, we're talking about less policing than in rural areas. Is, is that fair to say? Yes, you will, because you, you, you've known... Yeah, it, it, it's always the way that you have to have a district patrol car out as the main, the main part of it, which be your Clamels, your Ninas, your Torlises. That car has to be filled first. And that station has to be manned first because it's the headquarters. And if it's a situation where you have, we'll say, Tipperary Town, the car from Capawaite on a regular basis gets brought into Tipperary Town to fill gaps in there. And it happens all over Tipperary, similar situations. Like I know Templemore Station got their five units, they can't fill them. Ross Gray cannot do five units. They can't do five units properly. That's the, you might fill the units. Well, you won't fill them. You'll have people on them, but they won't be filled adequately to carry out a proper policing service. And that's where we are. We cannot do it. Richard, thanks so much for your time this morning. Good to talk to you as always. Thank you. Good morning oh, to you. No bother. Thanks, How about you now? And uh, that's Richard Kennedy there, Tipperary. Uh, representative of the Garda Representative Association there. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Joined now by Deputy Matty McGrath. Good morning to you, Matty. Good morning, Fran. Thanks for your time this morning. I want to talk to you about RTE, but I suppose our policing is far more important. I know you were listening to Richard Kennedy there. Some very stark commentary from Richard, Matty. Well, they're the facts. You know, you have a commissioner who promised him two years ago, as he said, to come to Ferrari and look at his new model and how it could possibly function or not. And hasn't happened. That's the problem. The number of it has no engagement with, 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 with the people on the ground. And that's uh, systematic for so many different organisations. And from the HSE, you know, right across the state, this has come top heavy. And uh, just dish out reforms, so-called, and other new new plans without consultation. Look, the Gardaí must be supported. I mean, the rank and file Gardaí, I think Richie said 60% would be a normal outturn for a vote, but I I think it's far less, sometimes even 40s, and, you know, some issues, they just don't engage. But to get this overwhelming, you know, response, that only 114 or 18, I think, Gardaí have voted confidence from the GRA, the rank and file Gardaí in the country, so... As we said in other programs this morning, this commissioner has lost the dressing room and lost it badly. And I, and I hope, really hope, they can be can be regained. But I I, I have severe doubts because of the minister coming out 
if the net result wasn't out by just before you finished your show at 12 o'clock, mm. 5 to 12 yesterday. And the minister was out before one o'clock news saying that she'd full confidence yeah. in the commissioners. I mean, that's knee jerk, just as you were, prepared statement. They knew this was coming. And that's where the problem lies. Government, like our. And I've seen this as the very first think tank I went to uh, in 2008, to the, at least 2007. And there was protest there, and there was a ring of steel around it. With the same ring of steel provided Hart and Jockey to insulate Michal Martin and his colleague ministers uh, from the reality. And this is what they see every day of the week. When we saw the minister walking down on Connor Street in that other show of in pictures yes, of the This was about the antisocial behaviour, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is in every town and village in Hamlet mm. now, we see all over the country. But I mean, around, she had a bank by being her officers and God knows how many. But what, but what did you make of the Tarnishta saying that he saw no place for the government <laughs> or for the minister in these, in this row? <laughs> he's come from one, you know, outrageous statement to the next. I mean, he's the same with he wants our, our, our neutrality, there's no place that's outdated. God knows what different positions he takes every particular week. All distractions, really, from dealing with the real issue. And the other thing, as I said, he's surrounded, and he goes anywhere, by Gardaí. Ministers had no state uh, Gardaí drivers for the last 10, 15 years, but they all got new uh, uh, civilian drivers, except the Minister of Justice. But there were 16, 18, maybe 20 or 30 guards found taking off this front-line duty, um, senior guards, detectives, like, to, to um, drive the ministers around. So they're protected from reality. They don't understand what it's like to be in the town of Calicature, which wasn't mentioned by Richie, but he mentioned the areas. And I name, and I shouldn't, four Gardaí and two sergeants, but they should have 20 Gardaí and, and four sergeants at a, at a minimum. It's, it's, there's no policing. You didn't try into the folly, but the minister said a year ago, almost a year ago, sorry, the commissioner, he wouldn't introduce the, the fifth roster because he couldn't, because he hadn't the numbers. He's less numbers now. As we heard yesterday, uh, if this is forced to, we could lose up to 200 members quite uh, swiftly. They're considering their position. They can't do it. It was change for COVID. And I heard you put the question to Richie about change and changing back. Yes, but you have to have the numbers to change back. You, you can't change back to the old system if you haven't the boots on the ground. And remember, there's sexual units and some other different units have been set up in the last number of years. All welcome. But they're pulling from the members from the areas. And while I have a letter, I don't know if you got it or not, from the, our chief superintendent, that our Finland won't be closed now and, 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 and Balapurin and Slohin and other rural stations. Effectively, they will, because to build the units in Kale and in San Mena. Well, Rich, Richie was, was quite clear about that, and that's very concerning, isn't it? For, but for... We fought this battle with the previous superintendent and chiefs of very smart, and we won that battle with keeping those men on the ground out there because they're doing Trojan work. Okay, they've been pulled into care and pulled into different stations as it is, but still they're out there. People know them, they've confidence them. This thing of sending in a, a, a reactionary police car, a car, that never works in any city in the world. You have to have with the people, of the people, by the people. They have confidence in you. You're at the games, you're at different functions, you're there for community events. Many of them done the uniforms when they're off duty just for, 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 for events, events that are happening in the villages. So that connectivity, and that's where the Gada Law and Order is breaking down a lot of it, because people don't know uh, don't know the situation. Like, the situation in Tanmel at the moment is, is quite perilous with young gangs and young students being beaten up, and it's shocking. And, and this is the same all over the country, so we're not immune to it. But no numbers and lack of respect for the Gada. Like, the dear rate of that kind of a vote, and to be told, OK, use the acronym, like a kick in the teeth, the commissioner did, but 
that's fair enough, but he knew this was coming. He said he wasn't going to accept the outcome of it. But look, that's not possible. And the other part nobody talks about now, Commissioner of the RIC, and there's three more very, very senior officers have been installed in Dublin in, in headquarters from XRIC as well. What, what, what's going on? Like? Well, there's, I mean, been, there's been yeah. a lot of talk about that, in fairness. Yes, because there's plenty of good capable uh, Gardaí up to the members. And there's a lot of resentment up along, not only from Gardaí level, but I, I'll be at the JPC meeting on Friday morning with, uh, with our commissioner. Mm-hmm. We can't get a mobile number off of him. Uh, he's living in, 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 I think he's living in Innes, but he's based in Innes now, which is totally, totally ridiculous. And I can't even contact him. I, I have to ring the farmer to see if he's so, so as a public well, representative, you, you can't make a... Do, do you have confidence in the commissioner at this point? Absolutely none whatsoever. Yeah, I, no confidence. I, I, I haven't had for a long time since I travelled to Tullus to a JPC meeting, I think over well before COVID, when I had raised this perilous issue of the situation in Cardiff and Shore, and, and um, he just wouldn't listen to me. He just said, I'm not listening to you, uh, uh, the deputy. He just wouldn't listen to me. So when he won't listen to the Gardaí, he won't listen to the Rockers members. I waited for, for three hours at morning at, at a meeting to get uh, my questions. I had a big meeting of 40, uh, sorry, over 40 different participants. So, so I mean, I have no confidence, no, none whatsoever. I, unless they make a complete, um, you know what I mean, and I look much like Carson Ashes. Well, now you talked last night, there was a sort of a softening, I suppose, between the, the Justice Minister and himself, you know. No. Yeah. The number of problem is, Fran, they could find the guy these do overtime in Tullus uh, the last couple of days for the think tank. They can find them when there are ministers and, and people like that around, but mm. this is the problem. Those ministers didn't think there's plenty of gas, no problem. Just gas to bring me in, bring me down, mind me, and everything else. So this is the problem with the system. But should they and, can't uh, be that removed from reality, Matty. Well, it looks like they are. You heard, you heard the tarnished You heard yeah. them. And, and I mean, the thing that the minister, like, uh, look, Dublin, they opened the station in Dublin. I've walked past it now a number of times. And it's just like a tourist office. Someone said, there's one guy inside in this most of the time, and you know, kind of now, to, to deal with the issue there. But he can't leave the station. Someone could be even more than 10 feet away from the thing, and, and he can't leave his, his, his there, he can't leave the station. As any 24 hour station, they have to be kept, the um, uh, phone lines answered, but it's a skeleton service. They don't have the members on the ground. And in members, lives are put in danger when they're on their own. We had it last year down in my rovers, um, female guardian and, and male guardian on their own. Three or four in the morning, going down roads, meeting mobile gangs. We saw the uproar that was there. We got a unit set up there, a specialised unit of four, and they've done towards and work. That will be off the road as soon as this um, model comes in. That's, the drug squad, yeah. the drug squad. Imagine the think of the drug squad being disbanded. Like we have a, only a flimsy drug squad, uh, flimsy numbers. Now I'm saying and the great work, but we see that in the in the, in the recoveries. But to think that mm. that will be taken off the road, it has been a waste for already. Can and other counties they're denying it. Every position is is up for grabs in the guards, except the position of you know of the, the sexual crime unit. Indeed, people with, with, with uh, the rank of, you know, the middle senior officers, they won't be. But any other guy, the DRU here, the special force in care, they was like, <laughs> we're told they're not right to them. Yet they all got this, a questionnaire sent to them to know what station would they go to, Cork, Limerick, or... or is is that the Rapid or? Response Unit? Yes, yeah. yes, which is a fabulous unit. And the only thing between us and, and, and actually out, out, outright, you know, um, tuggery, because they know they're there, they're well and well-trained, They've had open days there and very successfully attended in the care gather session, displayed their wares. Like, even if they're called to Waterford there, and they're called to Limerick, which just, they cover those counties, four or five counties, mm. I think down as far as Wakeford. Like, they have a quarter care and pass through Clonmel care, whatever, pass the other way. People have a little confidence. At least this unit is there to respond 
issues in well, I'm, just, I'm just looking at my screens just for your own information as a public representative I don't need to tell you I'm sure at this point but a lot of people are very very worried and very anxious about this indeed can I bring you on to, to RTE uh, Matty you're a member of the Oireachtas Media uh, Committee you chose not to attend yesterday's meeting with uh, RTE you said it was going to be another charade has it worked out as a charade as far as you're concerned? Yes, because Fran, we met uh, two weeks ago yesterday actually in private session uh, uh, two two weeks ago last Friday and to decide about asking RT again and, and I was reluctant from the first day to engage in this process because I could see what's going to happen. First of all, we're not qualified at a committee uh, for an inquisitorial role and we haven't the yeah, experience as the public house are different, they have somewhat. But we're dealing with these and we saw the first so I, I, anyway, we decided to meet and I said, went on with it. We wanted all their statements, all their reports that they have KPMG and many other companies doing reports. We wanted them a clear, uh, you know, seven days in advance. They came in last Friday evening after close of business, all 177 different uh, sections of us, some with 14, 50 pages, some with 10, some with 20, some with one single page. We didn't. We also wanted the, that we, we were then told uh, around the weekend that there were 13 uh, coming, 15 people attending 13 in physical and two online but we had, we had requested that we have their opening statements a week in advance as well we didn't have them at close of business Monday evening so I mean it was a dumping ground dump all these reports top of these lads dump all the the, the, the massive round of paper Mr. Backhurst would do most of the talk and there was how could we how could I in 10 minutes but how could I, in a day, in a day, uh, evaluate and look through those reports? I hadn't got the opening statements even. How could I, in my ten minutes, uh, you know, of, of, of questioning and remember, it's five minutes questioning and maybe five minutes for answers? Just as a joke, just a raise, and it's just. Can I can I ask RTE. you about something that emerged this morning? And I'm sure you probably heard it yourself on RTE, a union rep in the in the station. I had recently, he, he, yeah. he was talking about politicians using the crisis to undermine the station and extract revenge in some way. What did you make of that comment? Uh, there could be some uh, elements of truth in it. There could be some elements of truth in it. But look, look, friend, when you see what's going on there, we saw the figures. I'm looking at the figure here that just jumped out at me. Uh, I mean, RT is currently spending an astounding 240000 uh, annually per photographer. John Kelly, you have out here, or many yeah. other good photographs around, to capture 16 still photos of Fair City uh, show each week. Yeah. Just imagine. And, like, look, I raised this issue uh, when I went to the Dáil in 2008. Not trying to be against RT, but people were coming to me. And we found out that time, the top 10 errors was astounding. Uh, one of them was earning 900,000. They've got into this ivory tower. They look after ministers and look after governments, and, and, and they, 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 they get well treated. And there are only hundreds of staff that are on RT and some of this county, and I meet them up there on different, you know, makeup people and, you know, all these secondary staff researchers, lovely people operating on a whim. And this, uh, this, um, mm. uh, this, this kind of opulence and, and the culture hasn't changed. Well, so, was, was there an uh, element of threat yesterday with Kevin Backhurst saying that they wouldn't be able to cover certain sporting events or indeed political events, which I found interesting, unless <laughs> that they got financed in some way uh, from, from the state? What, what did you make of that? I don't care because they have failed in their duty to cover lots of things. They closed the water studio. I, I had uh, email Kelly on your season again. I didn't know that loan studio was closed. It was, yeah. I mean, mm. they have already abandoned the rural island. So unless you want to go to Monroe, they've often offered a taxi service for me to go up to Dublin. I never availed of it. But I'm just saying, <laughs> they, 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 they have. Look, they're not what they were. 
And as soon as we see them, not to say Kilcow that they were, and listen, I have the respect, great respect for a lot, of, lot of staff, and most of the staff in there, but the cabal at the top and the executive board didn't do their work oversight. That's more than What did these reports cost, those 177 reports that I got? What did they cost? Millions again. What? Paper to be wasted. We talk about climate change and cutting down trees. I mean, the amount of paper to print off, I didn't even print them off, because how would you... What to be to mean a waste of paper and ink and, and tone and everything else. And what did because you make of the refusal to release the names of the top 100 heirs, uh, earners on the basis of GDPR, for example? More arrogance, lovely, convenient uh, issue to hide behind because it's embarrassing for them. And if you look at this for oh God bless them, I don't know, I don't really care, but 240,000 a year to take 16 photographs a week. And, and Fair City, I think, is set in the same set. He doesn't have trouble anywhere. He's in, mm. in the set of RTE, as far as I know, I saw it before, though, uh, when I got to the place. So, look, they don't care, and the government, since Jerry Conn sacked the board one time at, at 12 o'clock at night, back in all those years ago, yeah. over Sean McSteerfond, and no one has taken responsibility. This minister is feeble, nice person, not taking them on. Look, they thought off a port of land already to pay their debts. Then they were broke before COVID, but strangely enough, after COVID, they were in the black. When most other businesses, uh, many of them failed, and many of them are struggling yet. But that question needs to be answered too. And um, um, then uh, now, look, they're going to have to sell one throws. Yes, or icon, and yes, it's, a, it's an icon, but they're not the iconic station they were anymore. Unfortunately, your TV3 working in a warehouse is out in, mm-hmm. in industries that have been in it. It's a big industrial building. They have fine studio inside, but adequate, not the not the size of what RTE is. So. This is not palatable, but they want to, like they've already taken out our regional stations away. So Dublin are going to have to uh, have some pain now as well, and and maybe move a station out to post leash where they can get a site and, and a smaller site and, and more accessible oh. to everybody. And um, you know, because I, I remember before, this is the problem when the president's election when that famous thing with with with, with, with John Gallagher, like, and we were to have an investigation on that. And then we got the results of the investigation. I was on the committee, and I had a question for the committee of why certain questions weren't asked by a certain person to a certain candidate. And I was told there was floods in Dublin, and the person couldn't get into the studio. Now, these questions are, were all prepared for that program. So I said, nobody has come from the audience or RT to read out that question. And I said, I've often been RT, and I've often got wet insides from uh, beverages, but I've never been wet in, in my feet walking around the place with the flooded. So that's a kind of contempt right. and, and, and silly I must, report I, they I, have. I must leave it there, Matty, but uh, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you, and good morning to you. That is uh, Deputy Matty McGrath speaking to us today. Now, I mentioned there that notion that the top 100 earners could not be named because of GDPR. Well, Paula Carney Hoffler is a great friend of ours here. She's often part of our, our panels and she joins me online now because GDPR is her thing. Good morning to you, Paula. Morning, Fran. And thanks so much for coming on with us today. RTE refused a request from TDs to release the names of the top 100 errors, earners on the basis of GDPR. Does that hold water for you, Paula? It does indeed, actually. They're um, 100% right. Yeah. Um, to understand why they're doing it, I think that's the biggest problem out there. People are getting annoyed. Oh, you have to declare the, the top earners, you know, their salary, their name. They don't, and actually they shouldn't, because if they do, it could be an unauthorised disclosure or a, really a misuse of confidential information. So under the GDPR, you can only process, do stuff with data, share it, store it, unless when you have a lawful purpose, okay? So... 
you need a lawful purpose to disclose the data under the GDPR. Mm-hmm. And remember, this is employee salaries. These are salaries of, of earners. So what they looked at is they probably looked at the different lawful purposes that they could rely on. And realistically speaking, the only one that they could rely on was a thing called legitimate interest, okay? And that means you can share information, you can do something with data, but you must give the data subject the right to object, okay? If the data subject objects to the processing or the sharing of their information, you can't do it. You just can't. But, Paula, so my I understanding think- is that they didn't even ask the staff for permission, but is that part of it that they're... They, they can't ask for permission to. Is, is is that part of it? Yeah, it would be. So to use consent, so permission is consent. So if I ask somebody, can, I, can you sign this document in consent for me to release your salary? Okay, and they were an employee of mine. There would very much be an imbalance of power. So I'm the employer, they're the employee. They would be probably under duress to make their disclosure. They would feel like they have to. So given the position that RTE is in at the moment, if I was asked, a data subject for an employee consent to disclose information, that would be done with probably coercion, could be seen as coercion, or under duress. So consent is not a safe option or a good lawful purpose to process employee data or to share employee data. And does it make any difference, Paula, the fact that RTE, public service broadcasters, we keep hearing about it, it's an organisation essentially owned by the Irish people, um, does that not make it different to other organisations? Because, of course, we have the salaries of the top 10 earners publicised every couple of years. Yeah, so basically you've got fee earners, the likes of the presenters, so that's different. <clears throat> and then you've got the, the, the salary. So basically the GDPR applies to every company. It doesn't matter whether you're a public body or you're, you're a private-run business. It doesn't make a difference. It applies across the board. And there is no law in place in Ireland today that insists that you must, as a public body, declare the salaries of your employees. So I've had to look at this, and I couldn't find anything. So I went to things like transferring disclosure under Corporate Governance, the Companies Act. Under the Companies Act, there is, but you must declare the remuneration or, or salaries or, or amounts of money paid, uh, you know, like car allowances and stuff like that, paid to directors and officers or non-execs as well. Uh, and that's declared. So D4 salary was declared. Um, I looked at the Broadcasting Authority um, Act of Ireland 20, mm. uh, 2009. I couldn't see anything in there in relation to disclosing employee salaries to the public. And even under, you know, under the European um, state rules in relation to state aid, I couldn't see anything there either where you would have to declare salaries of your employees to the public at large. So there's nothing in law... So if you wanted to rely on a legal obligation, you need to have a law in place. Or if you wanted to rely on another lawful purpose, which is the you know, public interest, you need to have some sort of law in place, some sort of legislative measure to allow that. And it would have to be very transparent to all the employees as well. Mm. So there is no law in place. You can't use consent. If you're using legitimate interest or, or even doing an assessment of legitimate interest, you have to give the person the right to object to the processing or the right to object to having their salary shared. So, in my position as a BPO, RTE are 100% right not disclosing... Mm. And I, I was going to put salary. that to you, because it seems that they are going to seek further legal advice on this now, but if they came to you, Paula, you would say, uh-uh, that can't be done. Well, I go, show me the lawful purpose to which you want to share this information, and you can't rely on consent, because there's an imbalance of power between you as the employer and the employee. 
And I'm looking at the loss for purposes and I can't find anything there under the GDPR that says if you're a public entity, you're allowed to share your employee's salary to the public at large. And I want to, another thing that we need to consider, right, even sharing information, mm. we need to consider the potential harm it would cause to the data subject if we chose to share that information. What harm could it cause if someone knew somebody else's salary? You know, you're walking down the street, someone knows you. Oh, you get paid loads of money. How dare you? You don't deserve them. This is the type of mindset. So we have to be very careful of employee information. Uh, it's one of those coveted and protected uh, parts of data in any company. Uh, we take yes. big measures to protect it. So I really do not think that that information should be shared. Right. Uh, and uh, does it make any odds that, you know, generally in the public service, um, because of the grade system on salaries, we're all pretty much aware of what people are making anyway? Does that does that so play into this at all, Paula? Yeah, well, grade is right. So if you're providing aggregated data which doesn't disclose or even give an indication of potentially disclosing an individual, you can use that type of information. You can add a little bit of noise to it to really make it so it's not visible. You know what I mean? So... You can provide a grade of salaries out there. It doesn't identify anybody. That person doesn't have to tell you what grade they're on. So you can't discern, you know, what salary cap they're in. So, you know, if you had aggregated, 100% anonymized, can't be reconstructed data, that might um, kind of give a view of, of salaries out there. But absolutely, but I would insist there was a lot of noise added to it that would, you know, kind of really protect the data yes. as much as you could. It's very interesting. Can I ask you a final question, Paula? Because I know you've been following all of this uh, during the summer, and I know that privilege is very much part of the committee system there where they're asking questions and, and uh, gathering information and the like. But have you a concern about some of what has emerged about people and you think inevitably we'll end up in the courts over some of what we've heard? Um, God, it's, 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 that, that is, I have to say it's a hard one. Um, Privilege or legal privilege, or depending what it is, what type of privilege is involved, I think some disclosures could cause a potential issue in the future. I think certain things we need to be mindful of. We always have to be very careful in these types of meetings that we don't um, overshare. Yes. Um, I really don't, Sam, I honestly can't answer that. I think it's just a wait and see what happens. But I would say to anybody, be very careful when you're having an open discussion. If there's a disclosure made verbally, it is as bad as it is made on paper. So, you know, always be very conscious about what you're sharing, who you're sharing it with, and, and how it's portrayed. Because it could end up in a court situation. Paula, it's a real pleasure. And thank you so much for looking at that for us uh, specifically this morning, Paula. Thank you. Good morning to you. Thanks for making fans. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Paula Carney Hoffler speaking to us uh, there. 1800 938 The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Each tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, fuck on on 067 24111 or Slattery'sGarage.ie 
Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Now, we were speaking to uh, Matthew McGrath in the last hour of the programme, and uh, he brought up, uh, well, what we learned yesterday from that uh, Aractus uh, Media Committee that um, a photographer was paid seemingly 80000 a year just to take some still images uh, from the set of Fair City. And it has uh, generated a lot of commentary in the, the newspapers today. But David was on to us uh, from Thurlis and he'd go so far as to say Fair City should be scrapped. It must be costing millions every year, says David, and it's not very good, he says. Uh, between the photography cost and Paul Brennan on over 100k a year, it's a job. Uh, I didn't realise that that he was paid that kind of money because there's a friend of mine who's uh, one of the, I suppose, so-called stars of the soap and he was telling me an interesting one that um, when they're not part of the storyline, they're back on the dole, essentially, you know, so not everybody is making a fortune out of it. Uh, Certainly that's what I've been hearing uh, anyway. So what about uh, Fair City? What do you make of that? And also Liam was on to us. And an interesting one from Liam as well, because he's wondering what do the uh, people of Tipperary listening to us today, what do they make of the Garda Commissioner and should he stay or should he go? And Liam is advocating that we would ask our listeners about that. And he says, will you also add to it, should RTE get €50 million Euro from the taxpayer? And he goes on to say, as an ordinary poor farmer, I'd, I'd love to hear the wider opinions on this. So you'd, maybe you'd like to share with us. I mean, do you think the Garda Commissioner should go? Because essentially, I mean, a lot of people will believe he's lost the dressing room at this point. And should uh, RTE get that uh, extra money? Now, yesterday we received a letter from a spouse about uh, sleeping in separate beds. And this was part of our dear Phil uh, slot a couple of weeks ago. Um, the husband was sick with a chest infection, so she went to the spare bedroom for a couple of nights until he recovered. Now, she told us that she really enjoyed the peace and quiet, and our husband is looking for her to come back to their bedroom, and she's uh, wondering if uh, sleeping in separate beds is okay. One of our listeners, Joan, joins me now. Joan, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Joan. You were listening to the piece. You read the letter. What, what do you make of this, Joan? Well, I suppose there's a few different angles you can look at, and I'm assuming that it's an order that they're not in the flush youth and that the spooning days are over. I, and I'm not sure about we, that, Joan. I'm not, well, they didn't indicate yeah, what, what the age group were, but that's your your perception of yeah, it. Well, yeah, well, that was my take on yeah. it anyway. And as we get older, we suffer from disturbed sleep, as I do myself, and sometimes separate beds are a good solution because you're disturbing your partner by moving around and getting up and getting back to bed and mm-hmm. moving around the whole time. So from that point of view, yeah, I think that's probably a good thing. And as she said herself in her letter, her husband had this bad cough and obviously it was getting on her nerves, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, let's face it, like divorce is usually because of snoring. So at least she wasn't <laughs> divorcing him, so he should be thankful. Um, regarding the effect in, of the marriage, I think she should just reassure him, you know, of her commitment and her love, like, and... Uh, According to her own letter, she sees nothing wrong with the marriage at all, you know. Mm. Um, He's, he is feeling a little there. insecure by all accounts. Though, yeah, says, is he yeah. worried about lack of intimacy? Because I'd imagine if they're married that long, surely he should know by now that you don't have to sleep together, together at night for that. You know, mm. there's other occasions where that can happen. And uh, you see, I think the real problem here, for me anyway, is what my reading of it, as a fellow said, reading between the lines, is that um, Irish mammies have spoiled their sons so much. 
you know, would they just leave them down and then the new wife picks them up and carries them for the rest of their time and keeps on spoiling them. So when any little thing changes at all then, you see, in life, he's not able for it. He's lost, you know, he's so insecure because, you see, Mammy now has moved on and wifey now has become mammy after a number of years. And uh, <laughs> this is the reality of it. I, you love, know? I love the way people read all sorts of stuff into these letters. That's amazing. So you, you think, so, okay, you think he's missing the kind of the, the, the mommying uh, as well, is that it? The security yeah, of having her beside him and all of that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what it is. And I think women don't suffer from that as much because we don't get mild coddled when we're young. But you're aren't you, aren't you out living us all the time as well as everything else, sure, for God's sake? I know we are because we're not threatened with small stuff, you see. That's why we're out living the men, you see. We're not insecure like men. Women are a much stronger uh, group of people, you know, than Do you think so, man. Joan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, definitely, absolutely. You see, we've always been looked upon as the weaker sex, you mm. know. But if, if you think about it, even, Fran, the contributions to your show over mm. the years have been mostly from women. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, I'd say maybe you 80% know, yeah. women, yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Men mm. would be there and they'd be breaking it if they were going on the radio. <laughs> and I know this for a fact, you know. Us women, we tell it as it is, you see. Joan, jo- are you using you know? this letter as a platform to have, have a go at us? <laughs> no, God, I'm not, that at all. I love men, yeah. And as a yeah. matter of fact, most of my friends are men. I get on better with men than I do with women, right. just to be honest with you. You yeah. know, and maybe it's the mothery thing in me that I'm mothering everybody. I don't know, but uh, you know, what about with mammy Isis or what I have? But you I see, isn't that the you thing? Know? You see, you're spoiling us. You see, and you, you continue oh, yeah, to do so. So you play into this thing do. that you're kind of criticising, do you not? Yeah, I am, you know, sense like mm. in some ways, but in the other ways, I think like men need to cop on, like you know, mm. that we're two different. People, or men and women are so different. I mean, like it's like Mars and Earth, like we're very, very different. Mm. And I think men don't often realise that women need a little bit of space. You right. know, it's all yeah. about giving ourselves, and and space can be good, and it can be healthy for all of us. You know, mm. and whether it's space with different hobbies, or whether it's space sleeping in a different bed, or in a different room, or a different place. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. You it said you said a very interesting thing in in your correspondence to us as well. You said sleeping separately can also prepare you for when you lose your partner, thus yeah, reducing the trauma. Yeah, yeah. I was just coming to that bit there now. You see, when and I've spoken to both men and women who've lost their partners, yeah. and the hardest part of it is going to bed at night. How am I going to go to the empty bed? That seems to be the most traumatic part of it for people. And that's the reason I put that at the very end of it. Whereas if you're used to not sleeping together all the time and have been using separate beds or separate rooms or whatever you're doing, well, it's not as traumatic because that's one little bit. Now, now it's huge when you lose a partner, mm, and yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. But you see, the thing is, if you're used to cuddling into somebody, then it, it is very traumatic. Going to bed has to be horrendous. But if you're used to sleeping in another bed, at least that takes care of that little bit of the trauma, as far as I'm concerned. Now, maybe I'm thinking totally outside the box, and I have been, people have said to me, how do you even think of the things you well, say? It's, it's an interesting I, take, Hannah, Joan, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, what about the yeah. old thing of it's better to have loved and lost? Do you know, I mean, are you depriving yourself then of kind of, I don't know, the old cuddles and all of that for to no, prepare yourself for the inevitable? 
because you can have the cuddles. Like mm. I mean, like okay, this is only in Ireland where they think they have to go to bed for intimacy. You know, mm. or, or am I living in a different time zone altogether here? I mean, if you like, put a totally different spin on it here. Mm. When you think about it, people have affairs, mm. and how much of that is sleep? Mm. You know, or sleeping together. There's very little sleeping. I can so tell very, you. Very little you know? dozing off there is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know. So yeah. it's a completely different thing, you know. It depends on everybody is different. I so suppose, you think if really. she reassured your man and sort yeah, of con- think, continue yes. on her merry way then in her little room that she's sort of putting in yeah, all her diffusers exactly. into and all of that, yeah? Yeah, because mm. she seems to be kind of thinking different to what he is. Like, mm. you know, these diffusers, I hate them myself. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. any of those kinds of things would annoy me, like, mm. you know, and, and I'm not like that. You know, I'm out of here, I can't take that. Like, you know, that'd mm. be my attitude, you know, to it. But I think, yes, he just needs reassuring, you know, and I think there is nothing whatsoever wrong with her sleeping in a different room. They have their lives together, they do things together, you know, and, you know, she's just insecure, and I feel sorry for him. I really do, you know. And, but and can, the mammy. can I ask you about something that really bothers the hell out of me, Joan, but I know that you're going to say, would you get over yourself? In, in advertising now, why does the man always have to be portrayed as being an idiot? Do you know, in any of these soap powder ads or these washing machine ads or Hoover ads, the fella is just a fool. And the woman comes across as the hero of the moment and all of that. Yeah, well, I don't think that's fair, to be honest with you. That might have applied back the years more, I'd say, when if you had a washing machine and and men didn't know what to do. Mm. I think most men today know how to use a washing machine. And if they don't, it's up to their wives or their mammies. I'm I'm blushing here, Joan. Yeah. They should just say, well, right, this is where the powder goes, this is where the clothes goes, and these are the programs you use, and off you go. You see, women aren't letting men do things for themselves. It's as simple as that. Oh, that's an interesting one. Why why do you think that is? Is that the mammy thing again? It is. It's the mammy-itis. It is, definitely. Oh, I'll do that for you, darling. You know, mammy did it all your life. So now I'm mammy now, you see, you know, because that's what actually happens in marriages. You know, it all starts out wonderful and lovey-dovey and all the rest of it. And after a number of years, the wife becomes a mammy again, you know, because she's mammy the children. Now she's mammy and the daddy, you know, because she needs something to be doing to occupy herself. So she's taken over with the mammy-itis. You know, so that's what I think. I suppose, but, and, but nowadays, know, you know, I mean, so, you know, both both people in question, the, the the wife and the husband or the partners, as they're called now, or whatever, they're they're all out working. So it's it's, it's a different yeah. situation. Uh, but are you still saying that women are mammying yeah. the men? They are. Even, they are. even they in that situation. Wow. To. Yeah, even in that situation, you will have a, a, a not one here and there who will say, well, best this now, you know, you're a grown man, you know, mm. you should know how to do that yourself. And that's not the attitude that's needed either. It's a partnership at the end of the day. So everybody should have their little chores, you know. And I think if everybody had a little bit of structure like that, there would be less insecurity and there'd be less of, I'll do it because you can't or, oh, you'll make a mess of that if I don't do it for you. I wouldn't have done that myself mm. until I caught myself on, you know. <laughs> and to be honest with and you, what was I married you, my what, husband, what, what was he couldn't your role? buy the kettle. Could he not? No. No, and, no he couldn't buy the kettle. He'd and, burn it. And did you, you train know? him? Did you? Of course I did. Yeah, well, this, was, this is simple. You know, this is, how, this is the way it works, you know. Oh, and you make me laugh. That's, that's great, all yeah. we need to do. That's yeah. what we need to do. We need to give them confidence in themselves. Because mammy, when they were growing up, mammy done everything. 
So God help them. They didn't have a clue. And this is where the ads are coming from as well. But I, suppose, I think yeah. that has moved on. So are you saying changed. that in the ads yeah. there's an element of truth in some of the ads? Is that is that what you're saying? Well, to some degree there is. Probably, so, somebody is know, wondering, are you the wife <laughs> in question? <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> you're not the author no, of the letter. We just want to make no, that absolutely I'm, clear. Yeah. No, definitely not the author of the letter. No, definitely not. Not me. No. Uh, very no, good. Definitely All right. not. No. So as far as you're concerned, anyway. let, let her go ahead. Um, stay in her room with her diffuser and her nice little yeah. doll daddies and all of that and everything yeah, will be fine. exactly. And reassure him. Reassure, reassure him. him. Pa- pat him on the head. I'm only, and I'm only in the next room anyway, you know, and if you want me during the night, call me. Knock three know. times, as they say. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Joan, I love talking to you. Thank you so much, Joan. Take care. Thank all you. the best, Take care. Now. That's uh, Joan is speaking to us today. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007 if you want to speak to Ali. Now, my lovely aunt Rosari was on to tell me the casual art group classes, they're starting back tomorrow at 10 a.m., and it's happening there in that wonderful place, which is the Spafield Family Resource Centre. It's a great, great place in, in Cashel, doing amazing work there. Places are available for adults only, by the way. But it's tomorrow anyway, 10 a.m. And if you want to chat to somebody about that, find out a bit more about it, if you think you have a, an artistic bent, it's 062 So that's 062 That's Cashel. Art Group classes uh, resuming there tomorrow. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Patrick was on to say, I love Joan Fran. I'm all up for separate beds. I have a king-size bed and he still annoys me in the night. I have thought of single beds. There you go now. Um, somebody, somebody else on to say, that woman sounds fierce like my wife. I was making reference to Joan, who spoke to us there before um, the break. Um, hello to two lovely people, to uh, Billy and Patricia from uh, Tumivara, because I met them on uh, Monday night in uh, White's Hotel in Wexford, and they promised me they would text to say hello when they got home. So I'm delighted you did, Billy and Patricia, and thank you very much indeed for that, and it was lovely to meet you uh, too. And uh, Patricia, I hope you're not mammying Billy too much now. I hope that's not... I hope that's not happening. So uh, Somebody was saying, Fran, not everybody is lucky as you earning a fortune from Tip FM. It, it's embarrassing. The amount of money that I make, it, it's absolutely embarrassing. Ryan Tuberty rang me for advice on it, in fact. Uh, somebody else saying, Fran, I married a man who has seven sisters. He was an only boy. We were married for 20 years. I have him pure spoilt. And we both work full time and I do most of the raising of the kids, getting him to training and all the other bits and pieces, etc. I do so much for him genuinely. I have his clothes left out most days, shower bath ready for... Ah, come on. I never minded doing it, but uh, probably am getting ever so slightly tired of it, says one of our listeners. God, you have him spoiled all right, haven't you? Um, I consider myself lucky, says another listener. My husband's mother didn't raise him. 
so he doesn't have the mammy syndrome. God, it sounds like there's a story in that somewhere. Mary was on to say, top of the morning, Fran, my husband and I are in our 70s and our lives are in the comfort zone. Wow, what does that mean? And Mary goes on to say, so separate beds are um, perfect for a good night's sleep and a cuddle can be had at any time, says Mary. Um, Something else saying that uh, men pretend they don't know how to use the washing machine and the like so they can avoid doing it. It's worked for decades. There might be an element of truth to that somewhere. And another listener saying, I really mammy my husband and I'm tired from working full time and mammying him as well. I think we might have stirred something up here, you know. I really do. Oh, wait, three. Three double one, double three, double one. Now, Alan Moynihan is uh, in the process of a grand walk from North Tipperary to South Tipperary. Let's find out what that's all about because he joins me now. Alan, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very. More importantly, how are you? Because you set off yesterday, I think. Did you? Yeah, that's correct. It uh, started off from Ross Cray yesterday morning and done about... Still at London, 35 kilometres down to Thurles yesterday afternoon. Wow, you're a lot fitter than I am, that's that's for sure. And where are you right now, Ellen? I'm currently on the road. I'm about 12 kilometres from Cashel at the moment. Just passed through a horse and jockey a little while ago. So we're on the road to Cashel, which is our kind of first checkpoint of the day, really. All right, well, well done to you indeed. Why are you doing this? Um, so uh, the purpose of the walk is to raise funds to buy communication boards for the schools in the county. Um, to help children who maybe are suffering, you know, are on the autism spectrum, mm. or any children who may have difficulty communicating verbally. Can you These explain what, what exactly communication boards are to us? Okay, so uh, the boards that we're looking to buy will feature a number of um, illustrations that will, you know, re- reference simple commands, things like, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm tired, I'm cold, mm. I'm hot. Um, and then they'll also have an alphabet listed on it that if they have the cognitive ability to be able to spell out what their needs are. So it's just one tool to help ease the stress of communication between pupils, teachers, care assistants and fellow pupils. Very good. And you'd like to see more of these in the schools and indeed in playgrounds, I gather. Absolutely. So... The original inspiration for it was to try and get the uh, boards put into playgrounds in the county. Uh, A friend of mine had made a submission about two years ago to the council in relation to that. And, you know, it was coming out of COVID. There was a lot of things changing. There was a lot on the plates of everybody. So it's kind of been a slow process. But at the start of the summer, we thought we had some movement on it, which is when we first started talking about maybe starting fundraising because we've offered... As with the schools, we had initially offered to buy the boards for the playgrounds, and they just have to be installed, which is a fairly simple process. But unfortunately, it's just fallen, you know, a little bit down the the list of priorities. So we wanted to, you know, get the we wanted to get the show on the road in relation to these mm. boards, and you know, get people talking about accessibility and adaptability within the community. Yeah, and I, I love so, a point that you're making, which is that in the past, um, uh, children with autism, they had to adapt to their environment. Here you're saying is an opportunity for the environment to adapt to them. You know, and that, that kind of sums it up perfectly. I mean, we hear so much about 
integration into the community and you know this you know people who got intellectual disabilities or on the spectrum or whatever back you know years ago they were kind of hidden away yes and they were institutionalized yeah. now we're talking about bringing them out and being a part of the community but to do that we have to stop putting the emphasis on the service user and on the person you know who struggles to adapt to the world around them there's enough stresses for them and each one is individual and the type of response they're going to have to it is individual. So we should be looking at ways that the community and the surroundings can be adapted to some of their needs. Now, I don't know if we'll ever reach the utopia where every possible, you know, every possible need or every possible stressor could be accounted for. But what we want to do is start making small steps that make it a more inclusive, more adaptable and more accessible world for these people. Yeah, and, uh, you know, everybody who does wonderful work, work like yourself, um, th- there's something that would have prompted them into their fundraising or, or whatever. What What's your story? I mean, what what has brought you to this, Helen? Um, so there was a couple of influences that got me interested in, um, you know, causes of, you know, helping those with disabilities. My father, for years after he left the Army, was an intellectual disability nurse. And he was working with people, some of them with profound intellectual disabilities. Mm. And he was working with children at another time who were also on the spectrum. And seeing, you know, the myriad of struggles that families and these children would have and trying to find ways to bring them out into the community and give them the same experience as anybody else has. You know, it was so challenging because there was constantly things that had to be taken into account or had to be factored in when they were doing it. Um, secondly, my own nephew, he's on the autism spectrum. And seeing the struggles my sister has and trying to make it easier for him to adapt and grow and he just started school. So all of these things kind of came together. And plus, you don't have to look too far to find, um, to find some motivation or some story of a family who are in dire need of assistance and support and are fighting an awful battle. And I say we can't fix everything at once, but we're just trying to take small steps and get the word out there that we have to look at a new way of doing things. And are you in any doubt, Alan, that, I mean, you know, if we were able to help in some small way for young people with autism to communicate a bit better, they have a lot to offer us, don't they? Huge amount. I see my, and I, I go back, you know, to my own personal yeah. experience with my nephew, and he's he's a twin, and his brother, you know, he's you know he talks he talks to work for Ireland for you, um, and all of the all of the incredible things he does, you know, with you know, doing knowing his ABCs and doing his numbers and all that, Rory does as well, but he can't communicate it in the same way, and it just goes to show that inside there is a child full of potential. And I'm sure that's the same for families all over the country. You know, they see their children who are struggling with, you know, communication or whatever it is. And it's masking the huge potential and the huge opportunities that are there for this child if we can just find a way to make the world meet some of their needs. That's a lovely way to describe it. So if there's anything that we could do to help that communication, it would benefit everybody is what you're saying really, Alan. Absolutely. Uh, you know, these these children, you know, 
they're the future generation. We talk yeah. about it all the time. They're the ones who we're going to hand over to it, and they'll be responsible for safeguarding the future for the next generation. We have to meet them, you know, halfway there and make it possible for them that they're no longer defined by a, a diagnosis or a disorder. They're just a person that, you know, meet, the, meet their challenges in a different way. It's a lovely way to describe it. Um, where your fundraising is concerned, you're making your way to Cashel. How can people help you out? How can people donate in some sort of a way? So the um, the vast majority of, well, actually all of the donations are going through the online platform GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. So there's a GoFundMe set up in the name of the trip, to, the trip through tip. It's by saying that for eight months or eight weeks, I'm still <laughs> tripping over it. The tip through but, um, tip, okay. Yeah. That's it. So you can search for um, it on GoFundMe for that. Um, on my own personal Instagram, there's a link to the... To the GoFundMe in my bio. Okay, that's, that's Alan, Alan, Alan Moynihan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, if you're in the area that the walk is taking place, and so any of the towns are passing through, we're calling on. We've got posters up in shops and credit unions and things like that. If you see the posters, they've got a little QR code that you can scan with your phone that'll bring you directly to the to the GoFundMe page. Oh, very good. Now today it's Cashel and Care. I think is that right, Alan? That's correct, yeah. Okay, what about tomorrow then? So tomorrow then we'll be leaving... Um, sorry, no. We'll be leaving Care at 8 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and we'll be travelling across to Clonmel and then on to Ardfinnan, which will be the end point for uh, tomorrow. And then Saturday morning we'll set out from Ardfinnan and we'll go through Clohane, finishing in Ballyporeen, which is where I live. Yes. Um, and we'll have the uh, community centre there open from about 12 o'clock. If anybody wants to come down and meet me on the, after I arrive in the town or want to come home and show a little sport, we'll have some tea and coffee and things like that in the community centre for people. Right. So we'd and, be delighted if people come out. And today when you pass through Cashel and Kerry, it'll be obvious who you are. I mean, have you posts or have you people with you, supporting you and all of that? Okay, so when I'm, I've got a, two support vehicles, I've... Uh, Support car that kind of drives up ahead and we meet at rendezvous points. They've got um, first aid, food, water, all of that sort of thing. Uh, and with me on the open road, I've got a motorcyclist who's travelling close behind me to warn traffic approaching that there's a charity walker on the road. Right. Um, and when we're in around the towns, we'll be wearing um, branded T-shirts as well with trip through tip. So if anybody sees us, please feel free to come over, say hello. Um, be delighted to see anybody and you know if you see me on the road a thumbs up goes a long way to lifting a flagging spirit so of course it does indeed well you're an excellent communicator Alan and we wish you the very very best what you're doing is a very good thing that's that's for sure great to talk to you Alan great to talk to you Fran and again thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come on and talk about and raise the profile you know, it really helps an awful lot. Now, you're so welcome. Look after yourself and be safe out there anyway. That's Alan Moynihan who has embarked on that grand walk from North Tipperary to South Tipperary. Martin joins me uh, online now. Good morning to you, Martin. Hi, good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed. You have some concerns about Roundup. What, yeah, what are just, your concerns, Martin? It's just the fact that um, I've seen online, or if you look Google, or well, if you can Google, if it's not really central, but you can see that um, they've lost all the law cases with Roundup, like Mont- Bayer and Monsanto, as far as what I can see. And 
um, the Gunnish are paying out settlements for Roundup. It, it, this is because it's carcinogenic in some way. Yeah, yeah it's carcinogenic, yeah. 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 Well, and, and, and the thing about it is, there's also the side that they, they were, um, I think it was in New York there lately, they were fined $6.9 million for false advertising, Roundup. But they left out the human side of it, say, the human impact on humans. Uh, but they're looking more specific on waterways and all this type of side of it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm just wondering why it's still on the market. Like. And, and just for people who might be sure, this, this is a weed killer and it was used for decades, was it's it a, not? Yeah. It's used, it's a herbicide, yeah. And the funny thing about it is it's a registered antibiotic. What? It's a registered antibiotic. That's from what I, from the information I extracted from what I've been listening to. But, um, so it's kind of, it kills everything really. But it's just the impact that it has on people. And, and if you look at what most farmers, you can go online, anyone can go online themselves. And if you go to um, England, America, anyway, they use this, this um, terminology, desertification. And what they do is they spray off the crop seven or eight days before the harvesting. Then the reason for behind it, they say, is to dry out the crop. And it's to, it's to, it's to cause a level playing field so there's no variation in the crops. Parts are ripe and parts are not ripe. It just kills it all off. And I just think that's totally wrong. I mean, if you're going to do that, you should just label it. They should spray the crop. And then give give consumers the choice, give them the information to kind of make a clear decision whether they want to buy it or not. And are you telling me that, I mean, are farmers and gardeners and horticulturists, are they still using that here? I can't answer that for you, Fran. Still on, all I know is still on the market. Yeah, and, and some of the farmers I, fo- I followed, I follow them online, they're massive producers. Yeah. And, and you can hear them talking themselves, they're going to use desertification to kill off the crop, whether they use Roundup or some other chemical, I'm not sure. And there's another one there on the market, it's called, uh, I never knew about it in late, it was just Robert F. Kennedy, the running for candidate there for America. Yes, Robert President. Kennedy Jr., yes. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I was listening to Jordan Peterson, and they brought up this herbicide called atrazine. Mm. And I was looking for atrazine, and, and funny thing about it was, the, the company that makes it were just advertising there only a couple of, say, a week or two, or two weeks ago, Saying the farmers are using way too much of it, and a lot of it was end up in the waterways. And I was thinking, geez, this is crazy. Like, how could so much of it be in the waterways? But the idea about what Robert F. Kennedy uh, said about it was if you're in a lab and you get a, a small drop and you throw it in where there's male frogs, it'll instantly castrate the frogs, and 10% of them become functional females. And I'm thinking, oh my God. Yeah, it, it, there's a statement from Friends of the Earth on this, Martin, and they're saying that the main ingredient is a thing called glyphosate. I hope yeah. I was pronounced which, That's right, Which, yeah. of course, the claim is that, it, you know, people can uh, go on to develop non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and other cancers, yeah. but even still, that product won't be pulled from shelves until late this year, and then it will only be pulled from for residential applications. So that's... That's very serious. It's kind of, it's kind of strange, but uh, I think most people need to do their own research because I always remember following some parts of the European Union and they were talking about the products that are registered. And it's really up to the, the people who actually manufacture to, to show the science, to come in with the science and just give it to the regulators. And it goes from there. The regulators don't really have any independence. Clear, There's no clear separation in, in the research. Like, there should be bodies that actually test that and have clear separation and say, or verify whether it's True or not, like, but that doesn't happen. It's basically down to the manufacturer. 
that's what I get from my research, so and I can confirm that's up to people who actually yeah. do their own no, research the, the, and confirm the, it. The two gentlemen you you mentioned, Jordan Peterson and uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. You know yourself now that the, these guys are being vilified online and this. Oh, for sure, know. but look, that's for yeah. sure the same happened. The same happened with Robert, and uh, they vilified, and it went on for years in the court cases. And from what I see in the court case, the 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 last one, from what I read, anyway, I I go on US Right to Know One. It's fantastic um, site for information. And there they said that the, the Supreme Court didn't even want to hear the case. As far as I'm concerned, the scientists settled. But you have to look at the total value of those two corporates, those joints together. And if they can't provide the best science and can't provide the best legal um, services for themselves, what hope has anyone else got, really? Like, So you, I mean, you, you, you're advocating that people would go out there and research... For for themselves, where this is yeah, is if, if, yeah. if they yeah do you, I think I think what most people need to do, is do your own science and kind of look at both sides and then just see what's happening on the ground. That's kind of I keep an open mind. I kind of look at it like that. That's the way I do it. Right. And but but that notion that that ingredient uh, glyphosate um, is is still available and even after twenty twenty three, my understanding is that it will still be widely used in agriculture. Yeah. And so, therefore, it'll continue to be found in the food supply. And, guess, and, and they use it in desification of crops. Yes. Which, are, where do those crops end up? And, and what's the toxicity of those crops? Like, if you if you test them. I another, there's another fantastic uh, uh, thing I looked at online was um, Can Farmers Grow Money? And it was a German documentary, I think it was. And it was based in the EU. And it's, and it's kind of scary to think that there's no clear separation between regulation and these bodies. Why can look at who protects the consumer like? So you, you're concerned about the lobbying um, ability well, it's, of, it's, of, it's of some a, of these? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a package. It's a combination package where the corporations seem to do their own research. They bring mm-hmm. it to the regulators. Regulators don't seem to really have any clear way of testing is it true. Yeah. And, and you see, Martin, what happens is that people like you with genuine concerns, I mean, when you come on programs like this or if, if you were on social media, people would brand you as some sort of conspiracy theorist on this and that you're but, being... But, that's, you know. but that's, that's exactly it, Fred. But sure, my point to you is, like, what's the what's combined value or worth of Bayer and Monsanto and they can't win the cases? I mean, they've lost them all, like, and the Supreme Court doesn't want to hear it. That's not conspiracy theory. Like, you can do your own research. You can do your own uh, research and it's out there. Yeah, yeah, and you can see that yourself. And uh, it concerns me that why isn't it independently, um, why isn't there an independent body testing these products and actually get two or three independent bodies and, and, and have no clear separation between you, the corporations? Will you stay, stay with me there for just a, a moment because Anne is with us uh, as well. Uh, Anne, good morning to you. Good morning, Anne. How are you? you? You've been listening to Martin there. Will you tell me about your experience of, of Roundup? My experience, uh, I think it was June four years ago. I, it's either three or four years ago. I'm not exactly sure. I was sitting inside my wall weaving. I smelt the Roundup, and I would be very well aware of the smell of it because it's not nice. Mm. So I, I knew there was a tractor working in the field, but didn't, what you call it, didn't, uh, didn't connect the two things which actually weren't connected and it came down to me they weren't connected that evening I couldn't breathe and three days afterwards when my sister-in-law called to see me I walked out to the car with her and I said Jesus what's happened my plum tree it's dead the plums every bit of the the plums that were ripening all the foliage everything was dead on it and the next year it never even a, a leaf didn't even come on it 
And, and you, you're know, putting that down to the spray, are you, Anne? I'm putting this down to the spray because I obviously got one or two drops on me. The tree got one or two drops. The azalea got one or two drops. And uh, clematis also. So it was only it was only an odd drop. So obviously the tractor that passed with us had a faulty sprayer and a few drops. That, and thank God it wasn't that I didn't have my grandchildren around right. that day. And and in terms of, I mean, were you very sick for a period of time after I this? I was sick for six weeks. I was on antibiotics and steroids for six weeks. Because you had inhaled this. I, I could not breathe. So I couldn't. And I did go on the, the Nationalists and I went on the Mitchellstown paper as well. And, about um, this, yeah. Yes. So, so what? What, what Martin is saying is, is no surprise to you. Then you're, you're. Oh God, no surprise to me at all. And I absolutely abhor the thought of anybody using that spray on food that we have to eat. And when they say it's a herbicide, and we're we're just feeding the animals, this this crop is going to the animals. We're eating the animals. You know, they have they no conscience. But what about kids? What about children? What about anybody? Yeah, but so, what about kids? I think I look forward with kids. I mean, they have a, lo- a long life ahead of them. I mean, what's the, what's the impact on them like? And and what about that, Martin? What what about the impact of this? Because we're seeing an awful lot of unexplained illnesses and the like over the last few decades. And uh, I, I, my opinion, in my opinion, there's too much tie between the government, the regulators, and the big industries. That's simple as that. There's too much. They're too tied up. And the idea that, that the big money can lobby government and they can have more weight in their value in what they say than what the army people can have, is it's, it's not right. Like I mean, at the end of the day, you have elected representatives. They come to the people to get elected. They come to the people for representation. They but don't you see, Martin, pe- people, people have to be informed before they can protest, if you know what I mean. They, they have to know the facts. Oh, sure, and... then, then, yeah, but for friend, if, if the information is not getting out there, how do people um, get that information? If, if it's not being talked about, like, you don't hear about glyphosate on media or radio or anything unless you go looking for it. Unless you really go looking for it, you, you'll find certain sites or certain articles about it. But otherwise, it's hidden from view. Like, it needs to be hidden from, from, from people's view, like... I, I just I, I don't understand that. Yes, Anne. I beg your pardon. Yes, Anne. Okay, I agree. I agree with him there totally. And the, the trying to find the information is not easy, and the writing is so small that you need a magnifying glass to read it. And Anne, okay. did did the the tree the the plum tree did did that ever recover? No, it didn't. So it, so it didn't killed it completely. It killed it completely, and I was disgusted at that because. That was a magnificent plum tree. Right, but, but I'm just uh, sort of indicating to listeners the, the power of this stuff. It killed a hardy, a hardy tree. Yes. It's called it drift. Is. It's called yes. drift is what you're talking about, the, the, the chemical drift. I heard of other chemicals while I'm just spraying. And if it gets real warm, they kind of leaf and, and they spray that. Because I've seen other documentaries where farmers had to cut their organic crops before this other people sprayed. So mm-hmm. you know what I'm because they knew it, they called that crop would, would, could, there was possibilities of it drifting and killing the crop mm-hmm. and they didn't want that contaminating their product because they were doing organic. But you look, it's, it's up to everybody kind of do their own research. and, and yeah. see But do, do, do you have concerns, Martin? I wonder how much you can be organic now seeing that there's so much stuff into the soil and into the, the water. And That's the thing about it. I wonder if they test the water sample and just, you know what I'm saying, what's there, like in 
see what chemicals are in it, but sure, will they tell us? No. Mm. No, they won't tell us. That's, this is it, you see. see the consumer seems to be the the very last one to know. Like, and yeah. I don't understand that. I don't understand that mm-hmm. policy. Because if you don't have clear information or you're not given information, how do you make an informed decision? If someone's just giving you bits and bits of information and you're just basing it on what one or one person says and it might not be true, it might be ambiguity or, or falseness in it. But you're Martin, they're meant to protect us. I mean, our representatives but are this is, Yeah, but Frank, this is what I go back to saying about clear separation between the regulators, mm. the regulators and the government and industry. Mm. Where is the clear separation? Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, it all comes down to money. And, and did I hear you laughing yeah. there at the notion that they're supposed yes, to protect you us? You did. And can I make one comment there, please? And I'll cut off then. Um, oh, no problem, ma'am. As, um, as a, an organic farmer, the amount of bookwork the organic farmers have to do is astronomical. The amount of uh, inspections they have is quite a lot. And yet not any farmer that's out there spraying all these poisons, and they are nothing but poisons, on the land, don't have to fill up one bloody farm. So you find that very unfair, obviously. I think it's totally wrong. Mm. Totally all right. Well, look, it was great to, to speak to you both. This was an unexpected conversation this morning. And Martin, thank you so much. And Anne, I hope your your health is okay now, is it? Well, it's, it's good. In, it's good in its own way. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you both. And um, uh, 083-311-3311 if you have an opinion on, on that or indeed anything else that we've been discussing this morning. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com Yeah, I don't know. I just reading a little more about uh, Roundup and um, that main ingredient or key ingredient uh, glyphosate I hope I'm pronouncing that right anyway, seemingly that ingredient um, according to everything I can see here is poisonous and probably carcinogenic probably carcinogenic It's, it's amazing and from what we've been able to find out uh, this morning uh, it won't be pulled from the shelves here until later on this year and then it will only be pulled for residential applications in other words if you're a gardener or whatever it will be still widely used in agriculture and will continue to be found in the in the food supply so i i find that a pretty pretty amazing really um uh, thomas was on to us and funnily enough his crib is that he still uses roundup uh, but he says it's gone completely useless and that six weeks and uh, or two months, the weeds are are back again where this is uh, concerned. It's uh, interesting. Liam says, in 1987, the Irish government uh, banned growth promoters steroids in use uh, in cattle. But the following year, we imported beef from South America, who used a serious amount of steroids in cashel and Martin and uh, the rest of us eating this meat. Says Liam, who was a farmer. Himself, eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Well, that's uh, concerned, and we're back to the mammies as well, because um, this was brought up by, by Joan, and she put forward the notion that you know 
women like to mammy men and obviously men like to be mammied. And this listener says, my husband is the only boy with uh, three sisters and he's well able to fend for himself with washing and housework and he's hands-on with the kids as well. I don't think it's down to family makeup or what the mammies did for them. I think it's down to the men themselves seeing what they can get away with. Oh, that's kind of uh, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, France supposed to protect us. Don't forget the cervical cancer cover-up. No protection uh, there. All right, lots more coming in on this, and I'll put it together and I'll bring it to you in the next hour of the programme. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the final hour of tip today. 1800 If you want to speak to Ali, you can text on WhatsApp 083 311 It's time to talk farming now. Katrina Morrissey, news editor of the Farmer's Journal, is with me. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, friend. Great to talk to you today. And needless to say, derogation very much in the journal this week. But tell me about the farmers who are left in limbo. I didn't realise that uh, where you live uh, could be an issue where derogation is concerned as well. That's right, and I suppose that is the question that is most concerning farmers who are in derogation at the moment um, because we're not 100% sure yet whether the new lower 220 kilo of organic nitrogen per hectare limit will be blanket applied across the country or will it be in specific areas specific water catchments in the country. Um, Minister for Agriculture has said that he hopes to bring clarity to the issue in the coming days there are mutterings in the background that maybe it could be longer than that that it may even go as far as into October November. The issue with that Fran is obviously this will be applied from the 1st of January so we have only weeks to prepare and in some cases farmers might have to make decisions as regards stock as regards land, as regards their plans. They have cows in calf so they need to know as soon as possible what the, um, where and when the, well sorry we know when the limit will be applied but where exactly will be subject to the new lower limit. It's very interesting. I spoke to the Taunish a couple of days ago, in, in, in fact, and, you know, that notion of something to be done to alleviate the pressure on farmers. Now, he seems to be even a little bit at odds with our own Jackie Cahill uh, on that, um, you know, in terms of supporting farmers uh, through this. Yeah, very interesting. And and uh, the, the Taunish repeated, I think, to you, to us and to other media, and that is the phrase that he used alleviate pressures. He didn't go so far as to pledge, you know, support. Supports, yeah. Um, I just wonder if it, um, you know, is it soothing sounds or is it really concrete measures that will help farmers? Um, some of that may be uh, revealed, I suppose, in the upcoming budget, but um, faced with, you know, a large IFA delegation outside the Horse and Jockey Hotel mm. this week, it's you know, it wouldn't be surprising at all that the Tonish is saying that we'll do something to, we will assess what can be done 
to alleviate the pressures. Um, talk is cheap, as we know, so it'll be very interesting to see if that translates into actual concrete measures for the farmers affected. We have, you know, we have Dairy Industry Ireland has already said that where um, farms and by extension their co-ops are impacted um, by the resulting, by the change in the derogation that they believe that there is, you know, some compensation to be payable. Um, so, you know, there's there's pressure on all sides there, I suppose, as to what the impact and then how that impact can be alleviated. I presume you're reflecting all that anger that's out there in the journal uh, as well, uh, Katrina, because we, yeah. some people, farmers very, very cross about this, particularly with Minister McConnell Logan, that notion of, you know, a very, very important um, meeting held on a Zoom when he could have jumped on an aeroplane and sort of, you know. That's right, and I think that is, is the optics of it um, were really not helpful. Um, and farmers getting very cross that, you know, the, a, a face-to-face meeting didn't happen. Now, the minister would obviously say that he has had ongoing engagement. This wasn't this decision yes. wasn't made in one individual meeting. Uh, but nonetheless, the optics of it were very poor for the, for the farmers looking on. Um, we have spoken, Rachel Donovan was at the Horse and Jockey for the two days earlier this week. We'll be back in uh, Limerick at the Fine Gael thinking mm. later this week as well. So, yeah, lots of farmers' opinions there. Some of them saying we need more time. Some of them saying we need, you know, compensation. Some of them just very, very angry. Um, and the feeling, I would say, the majority would be, say, the rug has been pulled under, out from under them. Um, and if I could give an analogy, I suppose, for, you know, the, the, the non-farming listeners that might be there, this is almost the equivalent of if you were if you owned a garage, Okay, mm. and you invest millions in a new forecourt. You know, you do a lovely snazzy showroom. Um, you know, you invest a lot of money, and in order to pay back the investment, you have budgeted for being able to sell, let's say, a hundred very nice cars over the next ten years. But as soon as you have your showroom set up, and in this case, you know, in this analogy, the showroom is your milking parlor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's your high tech equipment. It is expensive equipment. Um, that has been invested in. But as soon as you have your showroom set up, you're told that you can only sell 50 cars a year. Cows, cars, sorry. Yes, yes sure. A yeah. year. You know, so it's it's very much, and the, the time frame is so short, you know, this is going to be implemented on the 1st of January. Uh, these firms are businesses, but they are businesses on which families are reliant um, and have made investments. You know, they've taken out loans on the back of business plans, um, on the back of a 250 um, derogation. It's, it's very, very concerning for those farmers affected. And I know that we've talked about it before. It is not just the derogation farmers that are affected because those farmers, their natural instincts, so their options are now, when the, when the nitrates derogation limit is reduced, they have three options. Number one, they can cut back on their livestock numbers. Mm. That has a direct link to their income, obviously. Uh, number two, they can go out and get more land to dilute the stocking rate. That comes at a cost, not just to them, but also to the, the other farmers who might be interested in the market, um, trying to lease in or rent land in as well. It will push up the price. That has a direct income effect for everybody involved in that scenario. And the third one is being able to export more slurry off the farm, which in some cases will be a solution, but not in all cases. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a really big, you know, it's a big issue. And, and the, the tarnished uh, expecting farmers to, to clap Mr. McConnell on, on the back for, you know, even keeping it at 220 when other countries are what, around 170, I think, is it, Katrina? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Ireland is in a minority in that yeah. we have a derogation at all from the European limit. 
Um, and that's a really valid point that, that has to be kept in the background. The, you know, we are getting all the warning sounds from Europe and the Irish uh, politicians going to Europe that we will have to show water quality improvements in order to keep the derogation at all, um, to keep it at that 220. So uh, the new Nitrates Action Programme will be up for um, discussion and debate and planning very soon, probably within the next six months. These things come on a, a multi-annual basis. Um, so look, at the heart of this, I suppose, is water quality. And it has to be said, water quality is something that farmers are working on. Their argument at the moment is that they're the, um, the statistics, the data that's being used to measure the water quality is being taken in too short a time frame. Yes. So this year-on-year yes. -year comparison is not showing an overall trend. It's not showing a trend over a long enough period. We, um, Our editor, Jack Kennedy, sat down with the farmers, with the Minister for Agriculture this week in Horse and Jockey. We have a full 30 minutes of that interview on the website on farmersjournal.ie and most of it is in the paper on page 8 as well. So um, the Minister, you know, kind of giving his point of view as to what needs to happen now, what, you know, the build up to this decision on the cut and um, a lot of background there on, you know, where where work needs to be done and also the, the I suppose, the demands and the pressures from the farmer's side. Yeah, and uh, Minister Ryan then, um, uh, sort of digging into this as well and making the point that anaerobic digestion may be a partial solution for the farmers who are, are in the derogation zones. That's right, yeah. So he is saying that um, the farmers who are directly impacted by the derogation will be the drivers of the first wave of anaerobic digestion development in Ireland. Um, he was saying that, you know, 3,000 farmers, they might take on more land or they might go into um, anaerobic digestion. Finally, I think we all know the planning system in this country doesn't lend itself yeah. to fast development of For anything. Sure. Yeah. And anaerobic digestion in a lot of cases that we have seen so far is, you know, does tend to get through the planning process very slowly. Um, that solution is not there for farmers on the 1st of January. You know, it may be there in the longer term, but it's certainly not there for anybody on the 1st of January 2024. Um, and maybe he's right that this will be a profitable option for farmers, and hopefully it will be, um, because if their ability to um, to make money from their business as it is set up currently is being undermined, they're going to have to go and look at other ideas. Right, but but it's long term is what you're saying. This This is not something that can be done immediately or... Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we've, we've no anaerobic digestion uh, yeah. facility that farmers can currently supply to in South Tipperary. So it is a little bit um, out in the Just, ether at the minute. And my and understanding, were the Greens, were they against anaerobic digestion at one stage? They've only recently embraced that, haven't they? Anaerobic digestion, along with solar panels and wind farms, and, you know, there's always people um, on both sides of the fence yeah. as regards this. Um, and you, I'm sure you have individual politicians who will, will have a say and maybe an objection to mm. developments in their own areas. Um, as a party, I think they are for it at the moment. You know, they are very for it at the moment. And indeed, the programme for government and, and the, sorry, the coalition government's um, climate action plan hinges on, the, on a big development of anaerobic digestion within two years. Um, again, I'll bring back to, you know, the planning permission system in the country would say that that's very ambitious to think that anything like that, I think it's 25 plants they want up and running within two years. It's hard to see it happening. It it's would be fantastic if it does happen and becomes an option for farmers as an alternative income source. But again, that's a choice. You know, will a farmer 
who has spent all their lives looking after a herd of cows, maybe had the same herds passed on from their um, their parents, will they say, right, I'm, I'm happy to get rid of half of them and give the slurry and silage into an anaerobic digestion plant? I don't know. I don't know either. Katrina, always good to talk to you and thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's Katrina Morrissey there of the Farmer's Journal. Of course, much more than what we've discussed there in the journal and it's on your shelves right now. Some breaking news for you. Stephen Kenny will remain in charge of the Republic of Ireland team for the final three games of their Euro 2024 qualifying campaign and the uh, international friendly with uh, New Zealand in November. And that's just been confirmed by the FAI. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Well, it's time for Health Slot and uh, delighted to be joined as usual by the CEO of the clinic Marito 8020 in Clanmel. Muriel Cuddy is with me. Good morning to you, Muriel. Morning, Fran. Uh, You're going to talk to us today about lymphatic drainage and all of this kind of thing and lymph nodes. Did I see you? You have some sort of a special piece of technology or a machine or something, do you? Yes, we have. You're afraid to say you saw me in my story wrapped in a towel, lying flat on my back, happy as Larry in the middle middle of the day. You'll have to stop putting up photographs like that. Uh, it doesn't what often it? happen in my world, but yes, I got to lie down for an hour. What um, is that about? So we have partnered, Marita are the only clinic in Ireland that has been selected to, to conduct a case study. We have partnered with an uh, expert professional, okay, and they have a new machine that they're launching next March called Shape Define. So the new machine is literally, I suppose, it does a few different things. It does things like end massage, which improves the clogged and sluggish lymphatic system, especially when it's combined with full body massage. Um, it also does things like um, radiofrequency for skin tightening, quadrupolar um, with vacuum, which treats uh, fibrous cellulite. So all these things that women like, but you know, that, that lymphatic system um, and um, lymphedema and all of that, that, that affects so many different people. Like yeah. the symptoms include, you, you'll know, I think everybody at some stage has swelling in their hands or their fingers or their ankles, cold hands or feet. And then the other things that it crosses over, like with the immune system, you know, like brain fog, depression, bloating, weight gain, all the things I talk about, like digestive issues, you know the enlarged lymph nodes constipation fatigue all of those kinds of things so yeah we're lucky enough to have partnered with L'Oreal Professional we're going to do case studies on this so we're going to see how the machine works and I suppose it's our ability to reliably track body fat loss through you know the body fat analysis machines etc that we have yes yes Mm -hmm. and yeah metabolic age somebody asked me about your metabolic age yesterday actually Fran but it's 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 that's why they've partnered with us so I'm going to work on the um the immune system, the anti-inflammatory side, reduce inflammation on the body from the inside out, and then we'll use the machine to do the other side, as in remove the toxins, fluid retention, the cellulite piece, all of that. And yes, they Very tested good. it on me on Tuesday, and I loved it. Did you? Yes. I and did. how how is it connected up to you? How does that work? Um, well, it's not. It's actually a machine, and you're using like vacuum, so you're lo- using heads from a machine. Okay. So they literally like the first one sucks. 
you know, and then you've got heat and the radio frequency one, you know, so it lifts uh, and and then you put heat into it. So once you're lifting it, you're lifting the tissue away. So there's no needles or... Oh, it is. Now, you can, it can become uncomfortable if you wanted to, as in depending on the best results you want to get. Not uncomfortable, that's like out of the ordinary or whatever. For me, I like the more, the hotter, the better, Mm. the more suction, the better or whatever, because I like to feel something's really working on me. Like like a really deep massage or whatever. Um, But yeah, um, I, I thought it was amazing. And I saw a difference afterwards. I'm not going to say where. Well, they worked <laughs> on my backside and legs. Yes, they did. And but they worked on cellulite and they worked on the, um, the drainage piece. I do tend to get swelling. Do you? Yes, I do. Yeah, as much with the exercise I do and even my body um, that I eat fairly well. Now, of course, the wine doesn't help on Friday night and it's most possibly Saturday uh-huh. morning when the swelling comes at times. But um, yes, I do. So, um, yeah, um, I'm delighted to be able to try it. Right, it's great stuff, isn't it? Because I've yeah. heard a lot about... Uh, this drainage, this lymph drainage and so And, uh, you know, I mean, who... You were talking about women there, but men have issues with this as well. It's everybody. Yeah. Can I go back now? We've kind of gone forward. Can I go back and can, can. I just explain to people what your lymph, your lymphatic system is? Because yes. I think everybody will have... Um, a piece of this that they understand but they won't understand it all okay so just bear with me for literally t- two or three minutes so your lymphatic system is a group of organs Fran okay it's a vital part of your immune system so it's organs vessels and tissues and they protect you from infection and they keep a healthy balance of fluids throughout your body okay so it's it's I suppose it's a network of organs vessels and tissues and they work together and what do they do so they move a colourless watery fluid called lymph back into your circulatory system which is your bloodstream Okay, like I said, it's a vital part of your immune system. I talk about the immune system all the time, but it protects us, our lymphatic system from infection Mm. and it destroys old or abnormal cells your body doesn't need. Okay, so your lymphatic system functions um, You, they're there to maintain normal fluid levels in your body and they absorb fats and fat soluble vitamins so they can make their way into your bloodstream. So I talk about that all the time, don't I? Like how do we absorb the stuff that we're yeah. eating? So if we don't have a good lymphatic system, we're not going to absorb the foodstuffs that we need. And people talk to me, even a man this morning rang me and he said that different issues that he feels his body just completely breaking down. He doesn't know where to go. He's on eight, seven or eight tablets. Um, heart related, blood pressure, all of these and now he needs a knee operation and he said he's cancelled the knee operation because he has all these other issues uh, but he has massive reflux so he said is it coming from my gut or he said did my gut or did my heart issues cause my gut issues or whatever he has no idea really so like I'll work through it with him and I'll so this is all part of it like if we're not maintaining normal fluid levels in our body and we're not absorbing the fats and the fat soluble vitamins so they can make their way into our bloodstream our body isn't going to work right so how does our system work our lymphatic system work okay so every day about 20 litres of plasma that's the liquid part of Mm -hmm. your blood flows out of tiny pores in the tin walls of your capillaries so imagine that so you can imagine water literally seeping out of a sponge that's exactly what it's like okay where does this liquid go it delivers oxygen and nutrients to the tissues surrounding each capillary. The tissues just, they, they hungrily, like if you can picture it, soak up all the nutrients while leaving behind the waste. The waste is literally like the food bits that a kid leaves or a child leaves behind after they've eaten their dinner or whatever. So the plasma doesn't mind clearing up the mess. It just picks up the waste. It returns to the bloodstream the same way it came by flowing back through the pores into your capillary walls. Okay? Each day, about 17 litres of plasma return to your bloodstream in this way. But since 20 litres initially came out of the capillary was, there's three litres that are still roaming around inside in the body, okay, in the body's tissues. Mm. So what happens that? So this is where the lymphatic system steps in, okay? Tiny lymphatic capillaries pick up this remaining fluid from your tissues. The fluid name changes now, so now instead of plasma, it's called lymph, 
Okay, so it was plasma, the, okay. the, the good part of the blood or whatever. Your lymphatic capillaries move into the lymph, move the lymph into larger tube, tubes called lymphatic vessels. And then these vessels keep the lymph moving until it ultimately reaches one of the two major ducts in your upper chest. So you, uh, people have heard, will have heard of the thoracic duct. The other one is the right lymphatic duct. Okay, they're a bit like... like on the highway ramps, you know, the ramps on the highway mm-hmm. or whatever, they merge into large veins and, and they empty the lymph into them, okay? From there, the lymph re-enters your bloodstream and it can flow through the body again. So it's literally like all around Gosh, the body, so literally. It's, it's very important, obviously. It, it, yeah. It's really important, yeah. And I suppose the conditions and disorders that would affect the lymph system. So we've all heard of swollen lymph nodes. We've, we, you can feel them, like, literally, yes. you know. So infection, inflammation, cancers, these all cause swollen lymph nodes. Things like infections, like, say, strep throat, infected skin wounds, things like that. But So it's an indication about our general health, I suppose. Uh, totally. And yeah. I, I even downloaded a picture. Um, I won't show it to you now to take too long to, to get it out. But, like, we've 600 lymph nodes scattered throughout our body. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah, like, we know the bigger ones. You know, like, under yeah, the arms under and the, the neck. Arms, and the groin. And, yeah, and yeah. the groin. Yeah, uh-huh. the different. But there's actually 600. Uh, this was even news to me. I didn't realise we had 600. But even when they were using the machine on me the other day, you they're working on the lymph nodes. Uh-huh. So, like, ankles up along either side of the knee. Uh, and then they work it up along to the heart. Like, so the nodes, they follow them up along the body, up your leg to your inner thigh groin area to the bigger ones uh, and then they work the other ones from the upper wow. body down or whatever so um, it's, it's just amazing like the lymph nodes they clear out damaged cells and cancer cells you know so like that's f- fantastic to actually think there's something now that we can do about that the other one then you know the swelling or the um, the lymphedema so a lot of people get that okay this can happen when the lymph nodes have been removed say for a condition like cancer but it also fluid commonly builds up in your arm and legs and like like I said, alcohol, um, the wrong diet, mm. inflammation, stress, all of these things can all cause that swelling, you know, so there has to be ways and means that we so can what reduce is, it. So this is something you would have in the ankles or the hands, is it? Yeah, or? yeah, you'd see it. Like the symptoms of swollen lymph nodes, like it's loads of different ones. Ankles, yeah, um, yeah. hands, things like that. But other things as well, like um, the cold hands and feet. Yeah. And remember I even said to you, like the brain fog and all of these other signs or whatever, they're all there too. And I suppose it goes back again, doesn't it, to the lymphatic system and how do you keep it healthy? Mm. So so you're going to talk to me about nutrition and stuff, are you? <laughs> she says that she looks at a bottle of wine looking at him. You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> Don't mention the bottle of wine, please. <laughs> It's a cheeky little Merlot, by I the way. I was just <laughs> going to say, um, you have to avoid chemicals and toxins and God knows what. <laughs> but anyway, yes. um, this is what I'm finding, Fran, in clinic again. Um, so we work on the uh, nutrition side, OK? And we do an awful lot there that we actually really clean up somebody's world. But some of the issues still remain. And we have to figure out then if it's not coming from the nutrition side. And we have really tried to um, activate everything and have a really healthy immune system. What else is happening? So this, the lymphatic system, they go hand in hand. The toxic chemicals, the build-up of them in your system, like the pesticides or cleaning products, they make it harder for your body to filter waste. So, like, it's really important. We, I love the smell of bleach. Like a clean bathroom and that kind of thing. And I shouldn't even, I shouldn't say that, but mm. we're not allowed to use it. We shouldn't be using it. It's toxic. I listened to you there this morning, the Roundup. Like the Roundup, yeah. Like, Does I listened to the farming. you? Totally. Like, when I do my nutrition um, presentations or lectures, it's something I talk about all the time. Like, what is sprayed in our crops? So, like, there's not a weed to be found on intensively farmed crops that make a lot of our foodstuffs. So that's not natural, is well, it? Well, like, crisps yeah. and all of these different things. We know the foods they come from. So, like, I remember years ago, like, we grew spuds and we had to thin 
turnips and mm. do things like that. And I remember getting killed one year because we pulled all the stalks of the turnip instead of the weeds because we didn't know the difference between the two. There's yes. supposed to be weeds of some sort. There isn't a weed to be seen. So whatever they're spraying on them to remove the weeds, it has to be toxic. Mm. You know, so like... Well, there seems to be proof of that now. Well, you heard but it But you can still today. buy these products. But there's, they're still there and they're still yeah. being sprayed on it and they have to seep into the ground. So not only do we have the toxins that are seeping into the ground, we also have the other side of it, like as in what, what's... Um, the minerals are gone out of the ground. Yeah. So like you've both sides of it you know so we wonder why our immune system is low or why our, our lymphatic system isn't working right like and I have to delve deeper into a lot of people lately because yes we get the food side right so they're eating decent enough food etc etc and we get mm. the, the, the body right or whatever but there's still something causing harm somewhere so it might be just something as simple as a deodorant you're spraying under your arm but you're doing it every day or hairsprays that you're like completely covering yourself and in. And we our, don't even think about We don't think about of any them, of yeah. those things at all, yeah. yeah. Scary, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Did Somebody wants to know, is that the same machine that Jennifer Aniston has been pictured using re- recently? I wouldn't say it's Jennifer Aniston's one now. Oh, um, it's okay. not exactly the same, but it does the same thing. Oh, so it's it? literally, okay. yes, right. the, the, the radiofrequency and the anticellulite. Um, we've got great reaction to it already, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I would that has used it, plus the massage piece. We've introduced Swedish massage with Roz um, in the last couple of weeks as well. So that's um, absolutely going down a treat because the two work hand in hand if that makes sense yeah. very very interesting indeed alright yeah. then if people want to make contact with you Muriel and if they want to talk to you about whether it's the lymph uh, area or whatever how, yes, how can they, they can call me on 0526148881 or www.marito8020.com alright great to see you okay. as always thanks very much indeed Muriel we'll take a break back with more in just a moment Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1800 938 007. Now, we were chatting a little earlier on about the use of uh, weed killer and pesticides and uh, the like. And we have a statement from Deputy Martin Brown on the use of pesticides. And he uh, he's uh, wanting us to mention that a, a petition on the issue of pesticide use came before the Committee on uh, Public Petitions recently. And as a result, the committee, of which Martin is chair, as you know, uh, surveyed the actions being taken by local authorities to reduce their use of weed killers uh, of this nature. Now, the committee asked uh, county councils to give them an account of the measures that they're taking to reduce the use of the weed killers in the areas that they're responsible for and if they were using or if they might uh, consider using non-chemical alternatives as well. And um, it says here you might be interested to, to know the response. Tipperary County Council have carried out trials of foam stream, which is herbicide-free weed control solution and where traditional spraying is still taking place the council has informed us that a reduction in the amount of spraying and trials in the use of foam stream 
are ongoing. So similar alternatives are being looked at by other uh, councils as well. And the Department of Agriculture informed the committee that the regulatory changes impacting the use of pesticides, including their use in public arenas, are due to be considered as part of the ongoing implementation of the EU Farm to Fork strategy, which aims to reduce, as you know, the overall use and risk of chemical pesticides by 50% and the use of more hazardous uh, pesticides by 50% um, by 2030. And and that's all great and and very well. But if you know for a fact that something is carcinogenic, uh, a reduction... Uh, by 50%, you'd sort of have to question that, wouldn't you? All right then, let us talk music because I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Tipperary singer-songwriter uh, Dinny Ryan is with me. Dinny, good morning to good you. Good morning, friend. Good it's morning. lovely to see you as well. And thank you for giving us a break away now from herbicides and pesticides <laughs> and politics and uh, and health and all, all of that. Um, tell me tell me about the music. I mean, where, where did the music begin for you? For, begin for me, uh, I guess my my mother's side of the family would be very musical and had a couple of uncles that were involved in music and bands and just grew up listening to all the greats, the American country, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and in the house was always music and, and it's really, you know, it, it just kind of it instilled me to follow follow the dream basically and try and try and learn it. And um, I suppose it really started. My first instrument instrument I picked up was the harmonica. Mm. And uh, I found myself in London playing in blues bands and things like that at a very kind of mad age. You know, the young age of eighteen, yeah. twenty year old. That must have been a wild time. Oh, it was it was fantastic. Yeah. It was amazing. Great experience, you know. And. Uh, I was kind of late in life taking up the guitar, but so glad I did, you know, because the harmonica and guitar together for me is the ultimate. I mean, my ultimate man would be Neil Young. Mm. I would absolutely love Neil Young. And uh, a lot of my influences from writing yes. and stuff have come from that kind of genre. Yes, of course, Young. that was Dylan's choice. Of and Dylan's choice, yeah. Well, sure, Dylan yeah. was my second, would be my second choice, yeah. Yeah. As regards lyrics and so when So obviously you were singing Neil Young songs and all of that. Yeah. Kind of, when, when did you start to, to take up the pen yourself and write your own? I'll tell you, I was, I was actually, I was gigging one night and uh, I had just finished a gig and I could see, you know, you always spot a musician in the crowd and this guy was watching me and he walked up and he said, um, tell me, he said, do you write any music yourself? And I said, no, I don't. And he just, he, he, he dropped the seed. He said, how do you know what you sound like? He said, because you never will until you write your own. Wow. And I said, oh. And I just went home and it just didn't leave me. It just wouldn't. So I said, oh, God, I'm going to have to try this. Yeah. Yeah, and it just took off. It just literally, I love lyrics. And it's, it's part of the problem, Dinny, that when, you, I mean, you, you cite people like Neil Young and yeah. uh, Bob Dylan, some of the greatest songwriters of yeah. all time. Do you naturally enough, though, start to compare your own stuff then to the, their, their music? Is, is that sort of a problem in terms of the bar is set very high? The bar is set high, but my God, we have so much to write about and so much to talk about. Um, I feel music, especially live music, has suffered a little bit. Um, do you think so? I do. I see there's a lot of karaoke out there mm, and mm. people turning up and, you know, I- singing. iPads and... iPads yeah, and, and yeah, it, it doesn't do it for me, to be yeah. honest. You know, I just love live bands, live music. Always did, always will. Mm. And um, it just, I, I feel, I wouldn't compare myself. I just feel I have story to tell and, God, it is fantastic yes. when you get a few chords together and then it just takes off. Yes. And lyrically... I love like writing lyrics and changing them and going back. And some songs come really easy, some songs don't. 
Right. A lot of my songs actually came at four or five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I would just wake up and have lyrics and grab the guitar, grab the pen, and just you, take you'd off. You wake up with an oh, idea. Oh yeah, I'd yeah. wake up with an wow. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it they seem to be getting. Uh, you kind of build your craft, as they say. I feel my songwriting has started to get a bit better and and getting more into it and deeper into it. And my new EP, just the puppet man, is yes. Very happy with that, and hopefully that will do fairly okay. Very good. We, we'll hold off on the recording for a bit, if you don't mind, because yeah. we might finish with that. But you have the guitar with you. Will you, will you do something like this? I'm going to do a song. Uh, this is called You're My Number One. I am dedicating this to my youngest daughter, Ali, who's pretty sick in and crumbling at the moment. And, no, but she, it's, I'm sorry to hear not that. Not at all, yeah. but it's it's this is her favourite song, because I suppose it's a bit catchy, and uh, it's called You're My Number One. Okay. You tell me that you love me, told me I'm the one There is no other like me, from here to kingdom come So this time's the last time, baby, won't turn a blind eye later Swear to God, this time, baby, you know I'm half crazy I'm feeling kinda hazy, fat dog bone lazy all I can tell you, darling, is that you're my number one. So now you're sad, you're lonely. It's me and you now only. Just stop your head from rocking. I can hear somebody knocking. Goddamn, just open the door. Can't get myself off the floor. All I can tell you, darling. Is that your my number one? Don't you think it's kinda strange? We're a long way out of range. One fall the road now, Sonny. Don't you think it's kinda funny? We ain't got no money. My nose is always running. All I can tell you, darling, is that your my number one. We're going the wrong way round Always looking but can't be found We're going up, never coming down We're on the bottom of a two-bit town All I can tell you, darling Is that you're my number one There ain't no other like me From here to kingdom come Smashing on together, still, still country blues in there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I kind of guess it's uh, yeah. alternative country. I would like to call it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, sounds great. And what, you know, it's it's the boring question, but I'm always fascinated by it. Um, you know, do you sit down and write a lyric, and do you match a, a melody to that, or does it all come yeah, together? Most of them come. I get the I get the few chords off first. Yeah, I get a nice little rift, and then the I then I start working on lyrics. But one song, I'm actually, it's on my new EP, um, it's called World Gone Wrong. And it was very strange because the song actually just came to me. I wrote it all down, never changed the word of it, took it to the studio, the guys loved it. And it's just, it, it came in about 20 minutes. Isn't that great? Yeah, it? and other songs I could be three weeks working on, you know. 
Um, but it's uh, it's a great journey to be on, you know. And as I said, there's so much to sing about, especially in our world at the moment. Yeah. And, you know? and do you get political about it? I mean, you yeah, the, the the song "World Gone Wrong" yeah. is is completely about the murder of George Floyd. It's about the shootings in America and pe- children dying in school. Um, like the, the corporate lawyers taking people's houses, it's it is that kind of a song, and I can't wait for people to hear because it it's 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 a real rock song, you know. Yes, and do, um, do you think? I mean, now, I mean, we were talking about Dylan, we were talking about Neil Young and the like as well. Do you think musicians now are moving away from that sort of stance that they used to take on issues? The playing it safe, friend. Do you think so? I do. I do. There's not enough rebels out there. There, an awful lot of people are fo- following the scene. Following the scene at the moment. If look, I'll just give you. I'm not. I'm not giving out about different type. But doesn't like say I love like say the Irish bands, right? But like say the, the Whistling Donkeys and all. They're after finding an audience. Mm. You know, and they, they they're, they're like fantastic cover bands. You yeah. know, and but I feel I would love to see the young lad in the bedroom writing the song on his guitar or or girl, you know. Yeah. And just to see more more of that, um, I think a lot of people are singing stuff that do they believe what they're doing or are they just doing it to please the crowd or are they... So you say so some of these young ballad bands that are doing, yeah. I suppose, what the Wolfies were doing, what that, the Wolfies yeah. were doing yeah. 40 years ago. Yeah, or, exactly. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, that concerns you, do you? It, because... I wouldn't say it concerns me. I, I would just like to see... I'd like to see people just write write more songs. Yeah. You know? Because in, when I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, I mean, my God, Ireland was rife with songwriters, song you know? Yeah. yeah. I wrote a song, it's on that EP, actually, The Puppet Man, it's called The Halfway Man. I wrote it about Phil Lynott. Yeah. Because I had, I had, I had, at one stage we met his mother and we had, we had, we had invited her to a night down in Tipperary Town to come down and talk about drugs. And uh, she was fantastic, but I was really inspired by it. And one of my songs is is dedicated yes. to him, you know. And I just I'd love to see more songwriters yeah. out there. And I know they're there, and and I've heard it. I've been around the country. Well, well once a month there's the fantastic whistle this over in Thurnless that my friend Tom Lyons look, looks after, and it's it, one of the few platforms now, I suppose, mm. for for guys to get up with a guitar and yeah. young women to get up with a guitar as well yeah. and sing their own stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I've gone to. I've, I, that's what I love doing. I love yeah. going to open mic nights. Yeah. And just getting the guitar, sitting down, and and the reaction is fantastic. You yes. know, but can you go into a bar and do all of your own st- stuff? Absolutely Dini, not. Not. No. Okay. Right. No. You'd have to have. And look, if you're going to do the covers, I love to have versions that are that people wouldn't have necessarily yes. heard before. So it's your own take. Yeah, it's my yeah. own take. Or I have two, two brothers, and I am, they play music as well. They're fantastic guitar players. I have a cousin who plays five string banjo, mm. and um, only. Dear, last weekend we went up, and I don't know, are you aware of that song? Um, it's nearly over now. Oh, I know it well. Yeah, uh, so we've done a version yes. of that. It's the old folk song. It's uh, an old folk song. Yeah, yeah. 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 Eric Bogle, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we've done a version of that, and people just couldn't get over that. It's you know, it was live. It was different. There was harmonica. Right. There was banjo. And you put the whole lot together, and you can't beat it. It's hard yeah. to beat, you know. Yeah. It's Eric, a, Eric Bogle would yeah. be one of my great all-time song. favorite songwriters. Would it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, that's a great song, you know. Yeah. Great song. But that's just like 
I would like to try and find songs like that that people wouldn't have heard before. Yes. It doesn't create, you know, and cover do your songs. Own thing, or right. if you're doing, I would do always do Neil Young because uh, harmonica Har- wise, he's, he's, to me, he's one of the best in the world. Yeah. You know. Will you do something else like for us? Um, yeah, I can do. Yeah, I, I'm going to do a song called um, Did You Actually? Okay. If that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Did You Actually is, it's part of the chorus, but again, you'd be talking about lyrics. Um, my daughter is forever saying, did you actually? So I said, I'd actually <laughs> stick this in a song, you know? Yeah, very good. A bottle of vino in my hand, a casino in my head. Right or wrong, was it something I said? Too drunk, too old, too blind to see You were the best part of me Like a traveling man I'm a long way from home Our future uncertain Destination unknown Did you actually think It was all about you Did you actually think All your dreams would come true
Oh, well done. You're the world's my stage and you're my song. Lo- lovely lyrics. Really, really smashing stuff uh, all together. What, what are you hoping for, Denny? I mean, you have I'll the EP you, um, out there now. I would love, uh, because I've done the gig scene for maybe 20 years or more, uh, I would love just to get a few festivals, local festivals or... Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be the plan or the dream to get to get that going. And, um, yeah, I just keep writing. I love it. Um, it's part of what I do now and... yeah. You know, uh, hopefully it'll. And take is off. that something in itself, just the writing yeah. and and the creation of the song? It it is like it's. I mean, there's a process of me like me sitting on the end of a bed, banging a few chords, getting to the studio on the final night. Everyone gathers to listen to the master take, yeah. having your coffee. It, there is nothing like it in the world, and I would encourage, and hope any young person listening today. Pick up your guitar, pick up your instrument and start writing because mm. it is the greatest reward you'll ever have. What is that feeling like um, where, OK, you've written it at home in the bedroom or maybe in the middle of the night and then you bring it to the studio and other yeah. musicians then add their three and fourpence worth yeah. to it and you see the song evolve. Is that very special? It's that? totally incredible. Like um, the song Line of the Sand, I turned up at the studio myself and a lead guitar player, no drummer, no bass, no nothing. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. And the guy met us and he said, look, we just, where's your drummer? And we said, well, don't have one. And he said, well, luckily I'm a drummer. And luckily my man here is a piano player. And he said, look, just sit down and start jamming. We'll have a listen to your song. And we started playing it. And within 10 minutes, we were kind of nailing it, you know. And there was a couple of workmen <coughs> working outside the door. And one guy stuck his head in and he goes, Jeez, lad, that song sounds amazing, you know. Yeah. How long are you playing together? I said, about <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was such a buzz that yeah. I, it'll, it'll never leave me, you know. There's something special about that when musicians get together because it's almost yeah. telepathic. In it's, some it way, is, it, it is. Know? I mean, look, we've all had the bad nights where you're playing to nobody or, <laughs> or nobody's listening, you know, yeah. and it does happen. And, yeah. And it's hard, and but then you just get that one night yeah. where the magic happens, and that makes up for, and it, for all and of it, the it's like yeah, it? it's like uh, somebody said, you have to get a thousand no's for one yes. Well, that's what yeah. I'm waiting for. Yeah, so. I, I I love the fact though that you're here, like we're talking about your music, but you're saying to others out there, yeah. you know, oh no, right, right. I mean, just right because it's you know. Yeah. It's, it is. It's incredible, and look, there's always going to be your grandchildren, your ch- children's children will hear it. It's there. It's recorded. It's. Yeah. It's like well, it's my bit to offer society, and I hope it. They, you know, people appreciate well, they're, they're, what we're doing. They're smashing songs. That's for sure. If people want to access the songs, how, how can oh, they? Oh, they're, they're all that EP, the Puppet Man, is available on e- on Amazon, Spotify, um, iTunes. It's it's up there now as it is, and uh, I'm hoping to get a few CDs as well, just for local. Yeah, and yeah. just drop them off. I'm waiting on that to come through. And uh, yeah, yeah so. very good. And if people want to see you perform, is there anywhere they can? See At the that? moment, you see, because my daughter was sick, we had to put off a few gigs. But we'll, um, I will have that up online. Um, I'm on TikTok. There, it's like at Dinny Seven Five One is my uh, TikTok Excellent. page. And Dennis Ryan oh nine gmail dot com if anybody wants to contact me at the moment it's just things are a bit crazy at the moment of course they are and, uh, of course they are. and how is she she's, she's, okay. she's she was diagnosed okay. with like, leukemia and oh, she's God. twelve years old and fighting a really really good battle I'm so proud of her and um, that last song was dedicated to too because it's it's the chorus is her so yeah. you know and she's doing great friend she's doing great and. 
look, um, we'll just keep praying and keep staying strong for her, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, introduce, we're going to play the single now. Um, do you, will you introduce this for me? Yeah, this song is called Line in the Sand, accompanied on banjo by the great and famous Jerry O'Connor. The Jerry O'Connor? The Jerry O'Connor. Wow, from North Tipperary. Yes. Wonderful yeah. player. Yeah. A wonderful guitar, a banjo player. Yeah, yeah so... Just right. texted him one day and said, Jerry, oh, I want you on the song. He said, send it on. And I said, oh, OK. And he sent me back the, the thing and he said, yeah, I'll do this song for you. Uh, so. It's one of my all-time favourite yeah. musicians. Incredible altogether. All right, we'll have a listen to it. Can we wish you the very best, uh, Denny? And thanks. Thanks and so much for having me. To your lovely me. daughter as well. We wish her the best too. Thank you right. so much. And let, let's have a listen. Very good indeed. Uh, that is Tipperary man uh, Dinny Ryan there, originally from uh, Tipperary Town. He uh, lives in Cullen now, writing some uh, beautiful songs. That's called Line in the Sand, featuring uh, the great uh, Jerry there on the uh, banjo. That's it uh, for me. Ali produced. Uh, Stephen's on the way with the time tunnel. And uh, I'll speak to you tomorrow. And at that point, we will be live from the Centre of Cashel as part of the Arts Festival that kicked off, uh, that is kicking off indeed uh, tonight. Look after yourselves in the meantime, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Shrink your